Bandwagon Nerds is taped in front of a live studio audience. Hello again, fellow basement dwellers. It's your good friend Patrick O'Dowd welcoming you in to another edition of Bandwagon Nerds here on the Chairshot Radio Network, a part of the Chairshot.com. I've been really bad about pushing the site and the channel lately, so I got I gotta make sure I get that on the on the intro. We are here for week four of the 90s project taking a little bit more of what I hope is a fun tone this week as, as I brought things down quite a bit with the uh, with the drama category and oddly enough Schindler's list one vote in the in the listener poll more than uh, one. more than one more than one more than one person voted for Schindler's list really they did. I uh, I didn't see the final numbers I saw the percentages but uh and I think uh which drama won out force comp right force comp was the winner of course, I'm actually watching right now, by the way. Forrest Gump. So that voice you heard, everyone, the first one that chimed in, that was our good friend, the lawyer, David Ungar. The other one is the Reverend Ray Cash. And, of course, we also have the live studio audience, mm. PC Tunney. Welcome into the show, gentlemen. I received some feedback on the Babyface Heel podcast that I'm not supposed to address you all as a group. So I, I will start addressing you individually. And since I've heard the other two of you talk, how you doing, Tunney? How's your day going? Tell Greg to go fuck himself, Patrick. Yeah, it, really. it fits. I did do it twice, or it is defense. I did do it twice on the podcast within ten minutes and got resounding silence when I was like, "So, fellas, tell me what you think about this." So it, it was legitimate feedback. It was fair feedback. I can I can accept. I can I can accept feedback unless it's about the rise of Skywalker opinions, and then we're just going <laughs> to have different conversations, and that's okay. Or Zack Snyder opinions. By the way, we're not. This isn't on the rundown, but I got to ask this question, Dave, Ray, and Tony. What the fuck was that trailer that just just hit? I have what no idea. That tra- that's Dave? why I asked you guys. Like, yeah, what? Why did you post that? What? What is that? It's supposedly an official. They said it was an official clip from Zack Zack Snyder's Justice League. I don't think. It was a clip at From all? From credits, maybe? I don't know. From the credits like they did at Age of Ultron, where they had the big statue, and they just sort of showed her, maybe, technically, it's so, in the film? I don't know. It was supposedly weird. It's when you read, Yeah, when you read that article all the way through, they say that it's it's Zach releasing something that's just like a different origin story for the mother box, mother boxes, um, that has a lot of Easter eggs. Now, I'm sorry, I just didn't have the time to slow that thing down to the, you know, microsecond 
view all the details of everything that was in there. So I'm just going to read Zach's summary of it one of these days. But yeah, I thought, oh, cool. The first like five minutes of the sh- of, of the movie, you know, like the first scene they did in Wonder Woman 1984. It wasn't that at all. So yeah. It, and just, just like a- everything else Zack Snyder does, it was filled with disappointment. It's just a commercial. Like, it's just something to continue the the interest of the movie coming out. Nothing bigger, nothing smaller than that. And it, I mean, if if you really, if you're a guy that we you talked about it last week, we talked about the Far From Home trailer, uh, the name, uh, which is No Way Home, and all the stuff that it had, all the Easter eggs that it had on the board. It's the same uh-huh. thing. Only difference is oh, yes. Jack Snyder, so you don't like it. Ray, Patrick's got a black heart as far as Zack Snyder is concerned. You know that. I, I, yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> really, dude? Really? I think really? You've, esta- maybe, you've established maybe, that by now. Maybe not black. I, maybe like, re- like really dark gray. Is that shades of dark gray. Anyway. Fifty Shades yeah, of Gray. Here, I will say, I did, I did notice one thing in the trailer where I was like, oh, look at that. Like, if you look at each character... As it comes across, there does look to be some symbolism as to kind of how they fit in the team. Wonder Woman, for example, you see a heart next to next to her, like in her little montage picture thing, which, OK, we'll uh, we'll see how that plays out. We are going to talk about uh, some other DC news a little bit later on in the show uh, for the first half. We're also going to talk a little WandaVision episode eight, the penultimate episode before the finale next week. And next week, I think I've mentioned this. I got to remind him. Hopefully he remembers, but next week we are going to have a guest. We're going to have one Mr. Christopher Platt come on. He's going to come and talk to us about the series finale. And uh, I will invite him and see if we can just make this the longest bandwagon nerds since the last longest bandwagon nerds. If he wants to contribute his top 10 action flicks of the 90s, he's welcome to do so. I think that if we carbo load the night before and hydrate well the morning of, we can easily do four hours next week, guys. Come on now. Let's 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 four hours. Let's let's piss everybody off. We're going four hours. If you don't like it, you can suck it, nerds. And that's a oh, shirt over at. ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot. Pat, let's just space really the next episode out over two two days. You know, let's just record for right. two days like WrestleMania. Nerd Mania. <laughs> two day episode. Do we have do we have yeah, catering right. ordered already for after the first night? Do we have catering for that already? I don't know. We should look into that. Call Bischoff. He knows how to find that stuff. That's that's what I heard. He's always around catering. So I uh I, I gotta tell you, I'm excited about this. Uh, I look forward to hearing Platt. Platt's always a great uh, guest to have on the show and always a great contributor. So, But that's next week. This week, we're going to get down to it. We're going to talk a little uh, episode eight and what an episode it was. But before we do that, let's get some music. Get us let's set the mood, if you will. All right. Episode eight of WandaVision. I'm going to do it, guys. I'm sorry. I'm going to do it. It was okay. Okay. <laughs> it was fine. Go ahead. Say it. Here's here. here and I, I'm prepared to give my defense as to why I argue that it was fine. Because we've talked about this in a lot of the other shows re, 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 we've reviewed. This is a very necessary episode. And so it's not a bad episode, but it really is a big 
for most of the show outside of a couple of major reveals, and we'll talk about the big Easter egg mid credit because that's the big, big one. This was to fill in gaps. This was to fill in holes. This was to whet your appetite for the climactic final episode. And so I don't think like for me, I wasn't blown away, but I also don't think the episode necessarily was trying to blow you away too, too much. I think it really was to help you get a better sense of who Agatha was and to get a better sense of how we got here, which has been the driving narrative of the episode. To back up your point, you just made there. I think it's it's probably the long. It's actually the longest episode they've had so far. Right. So it's nearly. It's it totally just an informative kind of arcing episode linking us to the, what's going to happen at the end. I completely agree with you. How long do you think the last episode is going to be? Do you think it's going to be as long, or do you think they're going to go back to a little bit more compact episode? I kind of hope it's long. I hope it's an hour long, uh, because I feel like there's about six or seven different threads to kind of reconcile and wrap up when you've got spectrum slash photon you've got sword and the the white vision and how that's going to play with the hex vision who's still around he's not gone you've got agatha and wanda you've got wanda's own sanity there's there's just there, it feels like there's a lot for me to see for me to not be particularly surprised if this was like a 45 minute to an hour long episode next week to wrap it all up. Plus, it's going to be our springboard to Doctor Strange. So we still haven't like we still haven't gotten that sort of connection yet, other than I think that you all I think you and Tony and Dave Ray last week had talked about that this Nexus concept like that makes a lot of sense. Uh, if this, if Westview is this nexus of realities that would then draw Doctor Strange there. So speaking of the nexus, I, I'm, I was a little disappointed because they gave the the reason they gave away the reason why she's in Westview, and it has nothing to do with the nexus. It has nothing to do with Agatha luring her there. It's simply because Vision bought her a house, and they were going to build a house. And so, in grieving, because she couldn't bring Vision home to bury him, she went to the house. Um, so that makes me think, instead of Westview being the Nexus, she is the Nexus being. And I would cite you at the end of the episode, when uh, Agatha has the boys, and she says, you're the, white, you're the Scarlet Witch. That makes me think that the Scarlet Witch, from her purview, given the beginning of the episode is something because remember Wanda doesn't know how she does how she how she uses the power she just uses them you know and apparently mm-hmm. we find out that Wanda always had her powers right she always had them and that that was that was another big reveal and then the mind stone just opened up the possibilities of her powers really so she's got to yeah she so she's no, really got to be the nexus so Ray you you, you kind of hit on it but they they defined it I'm going to let Dave speak on this they call it chaos magic and that is definitely a part of the book. So, Dave, why don't you talk a little bit about that? I think that's where you were kind of going anyway with the powers. Somewhat, yeah. I, I think Ray hits on a good point. The fact that this was this was kind of, this episode was, in a way, Wanda's origin story that we didn't really get too much of previously. You know, you got to see her mother and father. I'm air quoting mother and father because I don't think any of us really believe those were her real parents because we know her and Pietro's backstory from the comics. So 
that part notwithstanding, the fact that, like Ray's saying, she had powers all along means she's a mutant. And now they've introduced mutants into this, even if they haven't specifically called them that. We've now got kids who are born with magical abilities, chaos magic, on top of that. So I think that kind of flew a little bit under the radar for some people, not for people like us. Uh, It was very cool that uh, Agatha called her the Scarlet Witch because we've all assumed that Wanda Maximoff has been the Scarlet Witch because that's who she is in the comics. But I stopped and thought when she said that, and I'm like, they really have never called her that in the entire series, in the entire MCU or anything up until that moment. So that's, that's, a, that's a big seminal kind of breakthrough. And, and it does lead to... It's like, it's like Avengers. What's that? You broke up there, my friend. Oh, uh, I said it was, it was like, it was like Avengers Assemble there. It, it, like they didn't say Avengers Assemble for 20 movies. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and not on that magnitude, of course, but it, it was, it was a cool moment. Um, you know, you got to see kind of at the beginning where they're bringing Agatha to Salem, you know, in 1693, when they did that, I said, Oh shit, they're actually going to go there. And then like Marvel does so well, they take an element from the comics that you think they're going to do one thing. And then they completely do something differently, which is brilliant on their part because it sucks in the nerds like us who are familiar with the lore. And they say, Oh shit, they're going to go in this direction. And then they go in a different direction and they just use that as like a template to, to bridge off of. So I, I I love the beginning of that. And you're like, yeah, this isn't going to go well for any of you bitches who are trying to take her down. And uh, yeah, they um, didn't go well as an understatement. Right. Think think about Kevin Feige, by the way. Do you think he just sits on his throne of cash in the Disney MCU studios and is like, they think it's they think it's Mephisto. <laughs> it's not, but we're going to let them think it's Mephisto. <laughs> they, oh God, they think Pietro's back. He ain't back. <laughs> He's laughing all the way to the bank. And so far, 20 movies in, and now eight out of nine episodes of a series in, he still got us. He still got us guessing. That whole team's got us guessing, and that's more than a little impressive. It's brilliant, oh, man. It's, it's it's massively impressive, and I think the most the most impressive part about it is not only does he work the fans, he works the people, the characters. Half the time, they don't know what's going on either. They just film. They just film apart, and whatever happens, happens. Like in Endgame, in 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 Infinity War, they all said they filmed a death scene and a living scene. Nobody knew who died. Until they watch the movie, like that is really impressive. It's funny. I, I just actually rewatched uh, Infinity War yesterday, just for funsies. Tom Holland can't ruin it, can't spoil the ending if he's not sure which one it is. So that's true. Him and Don Cheadle both, and Mark Ruffalo. Ruffalo, Ruffalo, Ruffalo. Ruffalo's in yeah. there too as well. Yeah, yeah. Ruffalo's I don't know. Ruffalo was the one who pissed off Cheadle, right? That's how it worked. Wasn't it like they were doing interviews or something together? But um. All right, so let's talk about the other big reveal that happened in the in the post credit scene, and that's the the revelation that one, the vision we've been following along ha- is a construct that Wanda created using the hex magic, and two, that sword has been trying to rebuild Vision for their own use. And I gotta I gotta pull back the curtain a little bit. Ray is a little anti robot rights. Um, we learned this. I learned this yesterday when we were discussing the episode that he uh he doesn't believe in in vision's autonomy guys so um, ray why not, you hating 
I'm not proud of it, but I'm a bit of a humanist, you know? Um, no, all, all jokes aside, the, the, right. the conversation between Pat and I is that, you know, I don't think S.W.O.R.D., especially, uh, God, what is his name every time I say the Tyler? Hayward. What is his name? Hayward, Hayward, thank you. Jeff? I'm, I'm not saying douche they're, nozzle, they're not. Ray. Just call him a douche nozzle. Tyler Jeff? douche nozzle, I like that. God of biscuits. All, all of those work. Yes, bad guy, number 75. Um, I don't think S.W.O.R.D. is as evil as we have been led to believe. I'm not saying that Tyler Hayward isn't an asshole. But look, if this episode really pulled back the curtain and let us see things the way it really is. For example, Wanda Storm's sword. We knew this, but we really got a chance to see it. Right? Now, he lied. She, did. She, he, got, she was let in by S.W.O.R.D., man. They let her through because she was grief-stricken. They let her in, but... But she blew up that window and, and flew down there. Right. When they saw her, when she saw them tearing him apart and using him as a guinea pig. She, she Roman Reigns the thing. She wrecked everything and left. You know? Well done. Well done. I'm here everything for you, is resting. I'm here for you, Ray. My boy. Everything. I, do I need to go put my Roman Reigns shirt real quick? <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> go back to hating on robots and their autonomy. Um, but no, ultimately, um, you know, I get it. $3 billion worth of vibranium. He is the greatest living weapon ever created. Um, so I can understand S.W.O.R.D.'s thought process to a certain extent. I'm not saying they're good guys, but they're not over, as overtly evil as I initially thought. Um, especially considering how Wanda just created another vision from her mind. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't... like. What, what were we talking about, about the, the rights of so since he bought it, the it, house? So here, here's what, here was my problem with it, is that S.W.O.R.D. made a big point, and Hayward himself made a big point of Wanda's vision, which now, Wanda's vision, you see what I did there? Um, what happened there, though, was Hayward accused her of, one, stealing a body that she didn't steal. She created this vision from her own powers, which explains why he couldn't leave the hex. And he says in his condemnation of Wanda and why she needs to be brought down is that she violated the Sokovia Accords and that she violated Vision's living will by doing so. So S.W.O.R.D., who is doing exactly what they say Wanda can't do, is doing that. They are violating the Sokovia Accords, and they are violating Vision's living will. And then your argument was that legally he couldn't have a living will. Why do you honor it one way, but then not honor it the other way, unless you're a double-dealing, you know, bad government operative? And, and I am with you. Like, S.H.I.E.L.D. wasn't pretty, like, by any, by any sense of the imagination. Nick Fury has skeletons in his closet, too, right? Like, that's the whole point of the Winter Soldier bit, is this isn't freedom, this is fear. So it's not that it's not that government organizations are all bad, good, indifferent, or whatever. It's just it's it's a shitty thing to do when you say she she did this thing, violated all this stuff when they were the ones who were violating all this stuff. Like whether you think the robot had the right to have the will, they invoked it and then turned around and violated it anyway. Well, doesn't the new I mean the new vision that that or the vision they've put back together now, right? It really doesn't have. It's not supposed to have the human element to it anymore, correct? It's not. It's not sentient. No. Well, yeah, and that's that's key to your guys' debate right now. Is what that's, is okay, sentient? 
I was gonna say because let's we haven't seen how this character plays out yet in the comics. Vision is still sentient; he just doesn't have emotion. So do you think? So do you think at some point Wanda could merge these two visions together to create the vision she had before? Because one is solely who she knows, her thoughts of him as a person, and the other one is solely everything else that he was before. Yeah, but there's there's let me throw this out to you guys. There's a big element missing from the vision that they're that douche nozzle is creating or replicating or putting back together it's missing the mind stone exactly the mind stone's out there so what you are left with essentially are the blueprints for and this is a growing sentiment in my house that people here are starting to really jump on this you're left with the blueprints for ultron right now is exactly what this vision is and the more they mentioned it and i thought about it i stopped it i thought i said yeah i mean that's what Ultron was, was a merging of like Jarvis and, and, and stuff that Tony had done, Tony, and stuff, that, stuff yeah. that Bruce had done, and bang, here you go. And really, without the Mind Stone, isn't that what's left? Go ahead, Pat. So the argument is, is whether or not the Mind Stone actually makes Vision the Vision that, at the end of the day. And if you look at, if you go back to Infinity War... The argument that they made is that Vision could be powered and run without the Mind Stone, keeping the best of what was Vision and what made Vision Vision without having to be reliant upon the Mind Stone. So the question then becomes, is Wanda's scope of power to do this merge thing that that Tony's suggesting, which I think is a possibility. Ultron is also a possibility. But if this merge thing happens, it really comes down to what is the scope of Wanda's power? Because clearly her power is enough to power the fucking thing and not give it emotions because that's how they did it. They used the drone she transformed to power him. They used her power to bring him online. So then the next step is, is if this merging happens or whatever, and we don't know what the, the confused vision, I think that has a role in this too. So, you know, we can't, we can't forget him. I'm very interested to see where they go. I'm also very interested to see how far, the white vision character goes, we may, I don't know that we get a resolution with white vision. I think we may have another, we've lost vision sort of scenario on our hands after this series is over. It's just going to be continued into Dr. Strange too. I think that there, I still adamantly believe they're setting this up that this last episode, and I agree, it's probably going to be 45 minutes long. It's, it's a setup and a platform to get to Dr. Strange too. They're, they're not, I don't think we're going to leave here with answers to questions. It's going to end on a cliffhanger. That's honestly my best guess. We're, I think we're going to get answers to questions. I think there's just going to be one more question left unanswered. Like I, oh, I sure. think the hex will be the hex will be fixed. We'll figure that out. We'll, that'll be done. Agatha will be handled in some way, form, or fashion. We'll figure out if uh, confused Vision, as we just said he was, and the boys are actually re- real outside of the hex. Uh, Wait, the boys are showing, the boys are showing up, Ray? Like Stop, Billy Butcher's coming don't in? Well, you, did you I, see the clip of uh, Homelander drinking the milk? It's yeah. that. I really hope that we don't see the end of Agatha because I think the character is excellent and I think the actress playing right, her is phenomenal. Right. So Catherine I hope that... It's amazing. Yeah, she's done a lot of great work. Go back and look at her IMDb and all the TV shows and movies she's done. She's a phenomenal actress. I would like to see her character continued into some movies or something else. Hopefully... Hopefully she is like the second to somebody bigger than her, even though right now it's not what they're giving you. Well, and, and, and to put a bow on that, 
you know, the very first thing we wondered at the beginning of, of all of this, going back eight weeks or whatever it was, was is Wanda... Well, yes. That, well, that's a little further than eight weeks. Was, is Wanda really the villain? And this, the show almost... Wanda actually has yes. been the villain. Yes, to, the to answer is yeah. Sense. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I think absolutely, 100%. One of the things I thought was really interesting... Is I think it's yes from a certain point of view. I think you mm-hmm. can empathize with Wanda. I think that you know this allegory for grief, and some of the things that you saw as she was doing her walk through memory lane, I thought was very telling. And one thing that struck me in particular was her walk through Westview before she changed it, and her perspective of the people of Westview was that everyone was miserable, just like her, mm-hmm. and we know. Like, the town was clearly a town that was struggling, right? Like, they showed buildings that were falling apart. Like, it just it didn't look like it was in the best of shape. However, it also was an interesting take to see everyone just looking completely miserable and listless. And, through, and it was definitely, in my mind, through Wanda's perspective that she believed she was helping these people even when she inadvertently created the hex by building that house. And can we talk about like the dopest line Marvel may have ever given? What is oh, grief, yeah. grief, if like, not love, uh, preserving? That is one of the dopest lines. Perseverance, whatever it is, you know what I'm saying. One of the dopest lines you'll ever hear or ever see in yeah, a movie. Whoever wrote that line, is, uh, even better than. <laughs> I promise I won't bite. Mm. I actually, did bite a kid once. When they were me. Is is a dope line? Yeah. So it's good stuff. Okay. Let, what what do we... I, I'm not going to ask you to predict what you think is going to happen. What I want to know is what do you want to happen in this last episode? What is one thing you want to see in, this, in the series finale, or the, epi, the, the finale, season finale, series finale? I think it's going to be a series finale. I'm not sure we're going to have another WandaVision. It seems too unique to have a season two. What's one thing we want to see out of this finale? David Ungar, you go first. Well, Luke Skywalker showing up is probably out. Um, so I I really, I, I want to see Doctor Strange show up. I think they need him at this point in time. You've got enough magic going wrong that you do need the guardian of the supernatural to show up and kind of set things right. I, I think that's kind of what I want to see. I want to see who this Hayward douche nozzle guy actually is because I don't think it's just an ordinary dude. I think there's more to him than that. Um, th- those are the two big ones that I want to see. I, I do want to see how do they resolve the oh, whole vision. Oh, oh, you, you got you got two. Okay. You got two. Let, let other people talk, sir. Go ahead, guys. I want to see. I want to see. I want to see Axel Asher. I hate you, troll. That's my time. Okay, I want to see the Vision family together. I want to see that they can live outside of the Hex. I want to see Monica kind of work with the Vision family. Wanda realized she was wrong for being mean to Monica. And I want to see Ultron. I want to see the children. James Spader's uh, show just got canceled, so there's a possibility. He's he's got some work he can do. I want to see the children really come into a little bit more of their powers. And I want to see it be the beginning of the young Avengers because I loved that series and I would love to see more. And I, I would love to see 
more of the Young Avengers introduced through some of these series. I don't I don't know where you could fit them in, but it would be great. Dave, I'm um, sorry, I was giving you a hard time. What was your What was your vision uh, desire? I don't know. At this point, oh, no. I, it's a, I, I did want to ask you guys something else about Marvel before we leave and talk something that's not Marvel related. Um, some news broke, or at least I think something they were talking about Captain America or uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, that those are it's going to be a six episode season and each episode is going to be like an hour long. So mm-hmm. it's. Yep. Well, actually, this is actually a really good thing that Tony brought up that I think we could talk about here that. Marvel is treating these series like really long movies, right? Yes. Like this was a really long movie. And I think Tony, you were the one who initially brought that point up in our chat. Uh, what, what brought you to that? What got you there? I just, just the, from everything we've like, everything we've watched for this show has been very episodic until you get to, very, very like originally conceptually episodic as far as a series you were watching on Netflix or Amazon, even The Boys, The Witcher, Lock and Key, right? But then we get to Mandalorian and you think about it and, and to me, Mandalorian was more of a video game than a movie. But, you know, then you think about it that like this is, this, is, this is really a movie, you know? It's a long-ass movie, and people hate long-ass movies, but people love miniseries that are 45 minutes to an hour with six to eight episodes, right? And that's exactly – because, honestly, if you were to sit down and watch the first half of WandaVision and then the second half of WandaVision, and they maybe made a better ending for the first four episodes, you you, you could add two – you could add WandaVision and WandaVision 2. It's true. That's a good point. And I think that's – I think we're going to get more of that, uh, as you were hinting at, Dave, with Falcon and the Winter Soldier with these hour long episodes, which I, boy, howdy. I think that that show looks a little, a little more fun. Uh, you know, their, their relationship looks like that's going to be a good time. Ray, go ahead. Speaking to Falcon and the winter soldier. If you remember correctly, that was supposed to be the first show. That was supposed right. to be the first thing that opened up all of this. Right. And I remember specifically when they were to, black widow. Yeah. But when they were speaking about, about filming the movie, he spoke very seriously about, we had to leave it at six episodes because it's too expensive. And that's when he said all of these, all of the Marvel TV shows will be filmed like a movie and just broken up because right. that we've, we found that's the best way to tell our stories is to tell them as movies. And so when Tony brought it up, it, it, it hit right on the nose because that's exactly the goal Feige, Feige is trying to do. Speaking of expensive, right. did anybody feel like the, the special effects budget, ticked up considerably here in WandaVision episode eight. I, I don't know, man, because you look at, you look at these early episodes and the amount of work it takes to repurpose your, your show every week to, to be an homage to an old sitcom. Like that's not cheap in its own right either. I do think the, the sort of the magic quotient jumped up because, you know, we got our Agatha Harkness thing. Uh, you know, the one thing i was disappointed about in this episode is when wanda was going through her memories and she was with hydra i really wanted to see the guy who was baron strooker get another appearance uh and i can't remember his name but uh he he was that's a character that i hate has sort of been glossed over in the mcu because i love him so much in the comics there's a lot of Hydra guys in, in the comics that we might never Crossbones see again. Is the same way. Like Crossbones, 
you had such a great guy playing him in Frank Grillo and you and you, you kill him off in like 30 seconds after he's created it excuse me in Civil War so anyway that's going to do it for this week on WandaVision guys I'm looking forward to the series finale I'm looking forward to bringing Christopher Platt on to talk about it as well because I know he's been following along and he's been really into it but uh yeah we'll uh, we'll have all of our thoughts next week it's going to be very, very exciting, and I, I can't wait to, to speculate on what's next in the MCU. I just want to know if that's really a cat there, Tony. It's a flurkin. It's a flurkin. Boo this man. Boo Ray Cash. Boo him. What are you thumbs downing about with the what I would say is arguably one of the most iconic movie themes ever written? Thank you. Ray also hates fireworks, hot dogs, little babies, all of that. Yeah. Kittens, all kitties, dogs, freshly mowed grass, apple pie, America. He hates it all. That's a dope thing. Okay, so this is about this is about what we're about to talk about, not about the music. No, the music is fantastic. I, if anything, Superman has always had a great theme. I just well, too bad because on Friday that a, a Superman solo film is on way, produced by J.J. Abrams. I um. And surprisingly enough, cautiously optimistic. About- <gasps> Holy shit. Today's sign of the apocalypse, folks. Can I tell you, you why? You can't, because Tana has she is fantastic. Well, that's that's part one. Um, if you've never read Between the World and Me, uh, loyal listeners, you should read Between the World and Me and then watch the show uh, on HBO. That's that's a reflection of, the, of that work. He also, his run on Black Panther is a, is a really great run of comics as well. He He wrote for another book. Didn't Captain he? Didn't America. he? He wrote for was it Captain America? Yeah, he wrote for Captain America as well. So he knows his stuff. I am never going to be one to back away from the statement that I think that J.J. Abrams is overrated as a director and as a writer. I think that his philosophy of always keep them guessing by having a mystery that never gets solved eventually writes itself into a corner and leads to disappointment. See the season finale or the series finale of Lost. People hated how Lost worked out because you were led along forever and then got nothing. And everybody knows how I feel about the two Star Wars movies he directed. As a producer, Bad Robot Productions is really quite good and gives you really quite good movies. And so he, to me kind of straddles that line like he is not Zack Snyder but he is but he is not as great as oh I don't know say the Russo brothers 
right now. IMO. And again, you've got arguably one of the best writers that you could possibly get out there. I think that that is just a, a, a banger hire. Now, we know nothing about this project. We just know what's happening. So that's that's my initial thoughts. Hater, I'm going to turn it over to the hater. Hater, hate on this. Go ahead. I'm not going to hate on it. Uh, I, I, I've I spoken to nauseam, and I apologize because I love I love me some Dave Ungar, and he loves Superman. So I know I'll break his heart every time I bring this up. Superman as a character is not interesting to me. But that is the Kal-El version. There are rumors speaking that we're going to get Zod's son. What's his name? Okay. Bar Zod? Is that it? I don't remember. Whatever it is. But, I was like, but, I'm a Marvel guy. I don't whatever. Yeah. Sure. But Zod's son's version of uh, Superman in this reboot since DC is doing the multiverse thing, which piques my interest. Because my, 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 my lack of interest in Superman is because there is nothing interesting to me about a guy who has no weakness. And yes, I know kryptonite. You know how hard it is to get kryptonite. Like, so literally, it's he's just unstoppable, can do anything. Right. It's not interesting to me. Ray, can I can I interject? He's got Please. more than one, he's got more than one weakness. He's Oh, what Lois? No. Red sun radiation. He's vulnerable to that. He's vulnerable, yeah, vulnerable to magic as well. Stop being a bad wrestling fan, Ray. Give me what I want. Okay. Okay. Here comes the IWC Black Black Widow comes out on May seventh, so that's when you get what you want. Okay. In theaters, should you feel brave enough to go? (laughs) I'm going. I'm buying my hazmat suit right now, so I can be here on time. Dude, you know what would save the movie industry right now is if they didn't knock down all the goddamn drive-in movie theaters over the last twenty five years. I got one in Houston. I go. That's where we go. Me and the kids. Aw. We've got one like two and a half hours away. Yeah, I uh, we talked about this a little bit because there were some jokes immediately. Like the the immediate assumption with the news of this movie coming out was that Henry Cavill's um, role is now in danger. I don't know that I buy that. I also was thinking about this last night because I think there's a lot of assumptions being made with this whole multiverse, universe, New 52, all of these sorts of things being thrown in there. And I thought I'd throw it out to you guys. What if Marvel really isn't as interested in an MCU-style continuity the way that fans seem to think they're interested in an MCU-style continuity? Because this multiverse and all these different movies and all the ways that they're doing this give you the opportunity for crossover, but don't handcuff you into a linear story, kind of the way Marvel has. I think they're interested in their own in their own string of continuity. I don't think they're interested in historical continuity as far as comic book fans, et cetera, are concerned. So, you know, what, what you've known to be the normal for legendary turning points and different stories isn't necessarily going to matter, but I think moving forward, they're going to make sure everything that they've done since what captain America in the timeline it, moving forward through WandaVision now and what we're about to get is all going to be connected in some kind of synergy, whether or not it's 100% historically accurate to original comic book storylines. Are we talking about DC being interested in continuity or Marvel? I'm I'm more interested in what DC... Well, it's both. So I mean, Marvel's got its continuity, but my, my argument is, is that maybe DC isn't as interested in following the same path and structure 
DC that doesn't know what the fuck they want. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> DC has proven time and time again that even though the fans are saying, do this, do this, copy this, it ain't broke, don't fix it, and they go in their own direction, and they've repeatedly demonstrated that. Now, whether or not Zack Snyder's Justice League changes that at all, or if it is like Ray says, and they're just like, let's just get it the fuck over with, that remains to be seen, but... Other than that, I think I think DC's abandoned ship completely on any sort of continuity, and they're just focusing on characters. And let's tell some cool stories about these characters and these individual, independently standing movies. That's what it seems like they're they, doing. They they don't. I agree. Movie wise, television wise, they're knocking it out of the fucking park. And and I'll just say, if you're a DC person and you love the Flash, it's back tomorrow on CW eight Eastern season six or seven. The new season starts. So. It, it, that way, definitely Supergirl, Black Lightning, Trickster, everything they got going on DC-wise is excellent, and it's all connected. The beauty Bad of it is, I'm sorry, the beauty The beauty of it is, though, if going towards what, you know, the crisis on Infinite Earths and everything they're doing on TV has shown that they have a possibility to connect the movies, right? And everything since the Snyderverse stuff has all been standalone-ish, right? Wonder Woman 84 has been on its own, in its own world. Shazam is not even in that same world. It's in a completely different world. Birds of Prey is in its own world. Joker is in its own world. So they have an ability now, if they want to, to fix it all up with the Flash movie that's coming out in, what, two years? See, I think they missed the boat 2027. They, it's, they should have, when they had the chance, they should have stopped and, and, and taken the TV series that they have and turned those into the actors they use for the movies and lead them in. I thought DC could have done that phenomenally the actors they have going on it's new superman and lois is out that guy plays an excellent i forget what i i, I knew his uh, i can't remember his tyler right hocklin there like you that. go i mean it, honestly if you're not watching that and you're a dc fan you should be watching the television it's been better than anything they've done over the last 15 20 years oh, you're right dc's done television much better than marvel has for years wandavision is is it's the opposite of the movies where Marvel is now catching up to what DC has done, whereas well, DC's been trying to catch up Marvel to Marvel. Marvel did television. I think it's an unfair comparison because Marvel never tried. Really. Like, name a Marvel series that legitimately tried to be a real... Because you can't count those weird X-Men. Like, you can't count... Are we um, talking live action is the question. Just like Daredevil Let's and stuff on Netflix. Let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the first. Yeah. Movie-wise, Marvel is kicking DC's ass. Right? There right. needs to... Complete and utter sure. changes. DC wants to live at that level whatsoever. Marvel has not gone really into the TV realm the way DC has, and DC has done a phenomenal right. job. That doesn't mean DC doesn't win that category because there's still space there sure. for Marvel. They've just chosen not to. But how can you not just focus on the success monetarily and oh, critically at movie-wise? Yeah, and, I can't. I can't disagree with that at all. And I also think it's easier for DC to do TV better because they have bigger they have bigger name stars. The first guys you think of when you think of comic book guys are normally DC guys, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. They're some of the first guys you think. I know we have Spider-Man marks here in, in the group, which is fine. He's up there, too. But initially, the first people you think of are DC heroes. So it makes sense for them to be able to do standalone stuff better. Sorry, the Flash Marvel. is not one of those household names, Tony. You can, you can flash that lightning bolt all you want. That's why you're on the bandwagon, because bandwagon nerds, like the true fans, true believers, as Stan Lee would say, are all about the Flash and Green Lantern. It's like Green Lantern, like people love Green Lantern, like hardcores. 
Give me my Plastic Man TV show. Ah, oh, Jesus. All right. And on that I note, we're going to play. Do you think Stacey Augman is still young enough to play the role? Why not? CGI, baby. Oh, geez. Okay. Okay. So that's going to close that out. More to come, I am sure, on what's going on in the DC Cinematic Universe and this upcoming movie. We're going to take our commercial break now, but before we do that, it is my responsibility to remind you all that if you love what we do over here at thechairshot.com, then get over to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash thechairshot and support us by buying a shirt. We have all kinds of great t-shirts out there with all of our different catchphrases and logos. Everything from hashtag safe tag team wrestling, hashtag journalism, everybody hates Greg, etc., etc. There is, of course, the one and only bandwagon nerd shirt. And if you love video games, we've got two for the other podcast that drops on Fridays. The winner is you. You can get them in your standard t-shirt style for $19.99, or you can spend a little extra if you're feeling fancy and get it soft style, the official style of baby face heel podcast co-host Miranda Morales again check those all out support us over at prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot and to quote the great Velvet Pipes Christopher Platt himself please and thank you thank you and please when we come back we will bring you part four of the 90s project where we cover our top 10 sports movies of the 1990s. You're listening to Bandwagon Nerds on thechairshot.com, a part of the Chairshot Radio Network. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv. Go to powerslam.tv, promo code chairshot. Get your free month. Again, that's powerslam.tv, promo code chairshot. Thechairshot.com. Always use your head. Welcome to the 90s, Mr. Bong. That's right, kids. You all know what it means. It is time to continue the 90s project here on bandwagon nerds welcome back everyone i i gotta own a mistake fellas i left off so many great movies and and i'm sorry it's my fault it um it breaks my heart and i really hope that some of you you made up for it in your lists those of you who 
behind the scenes told me you had 22 honorable mentions or four honorable mentions. You sons of bitches. Are we talking so yeah, we're going to talk about sports. We're going top 10 sports movies. Yeah, I, I, I was doing dramatic pauses. That was that was all about. Butch, all, butch, all, butch, 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 butch. Yes, very much so. I love, by the way, that Tony, that you have that soundbite, but that you also have, she's like shared the gif. Like it's just, it's everywhere. It's part of your nomenclature. It's just a little bit. It's, it's who you are. Oh, golly. So, as as we as everybody knows at this point, we're we're here in week four of the '90s project. This week it's our top ten sports movies of all time. Our lists. We continue to move the the order around. It is now my turn to lead, which means that Ray Cash, you are bringing up the rear this week. In between, it's Tunny, Dave, then Ray. As always, remember if you rattle off a movie and it's higher on someone else's list. We do the pause and we move it up to to that point on the list. Let's see if we can avoid going three hours today, though I'm not sure. Let's do. We're not going five hours today. We're not going seven. We're not doing any of that. You distracted motherfucker over there. All of you up there with your your ten, ten, your fucking tens. Anyway, any thoughts, real quick, really around the table? Any thoughts about what it took to make this list? We'll start with you, Dave. How, how did it go making the sports list? <laughs> well, I'm glad you added this as a category because it, as I mentioned, I know we it's pulling up for you. Well, no, but pulling the curtain back a little bit with some of the stuff we talked about in the chat, I, you know, there's, it, it did. I looked at this as a way of kind of like there's movies that are sports movies that were going to be really high on my comedy list that I said, you know, I can move them over to sports and create some openings on my comedy list because they straddle that line. So this was a great opportunity to kind of go back, look at some things, move things around. I mean, this is a tough list to come up with. I think my list is going to be, it's basically like half comedies, half serious stuff. And sports categories are, are, they've got some of the biggest crossovers. You know, it's sports is central. Yes, but you've got comedic elements. You've got dramatic elements, not so much action or anything like that, but Dave, do you mean to say that it's sports and it's entertainment? Ooh, I see what you and did there, Pat. Yeah, that's right. Before sports entertainment was a thing, or maybe afterwards. Who's counting? Anyway, that's just my thoughts on it. It's, I'm glad this is a category because, and there's a lot of stuff that I hadn't really seen or had only seen like once or twice. There are stuff that I left off my list specifically because I know for a fact they're on your guys' list. And I'm like, well, let me do something different. It's going to show up there, even though I like the movies. One of them in particular stands out. I know that's on at least your list, Pat. Um, I suspect it's on the other guys, but I'm like, ah, I'll let those guys talk about it. I'll talk about something different. So that's my Fair thoughts enough. on it. Very good. Ray, you only had you only had four this time around? Only four? What happened? Um, well, there's not as big a of a of a of a grouping sample a sample size to take from. Because because I'm the uh, because I'm the youngest in this group, and because I remember some of these and some I don't, and some I know uh, is importance and some things of that nature, I just put everything that I know this is important. This should should be on a list, and then I filter down from there. Whereas with all of these, only really fourteen hit, and um, kind of similar to Dave, a lot of them are comedies, but probably closest to the animation family list. The the movies on this list, with the exception of maybe the the bottom like seven like eight nine ten, are truly personal to me. 
very, very passionate and personal to me. So, uh, yeah. Fern Gully's not a sports movie, Ray. Just saying. Look, you can't tell me that. Okay? It's my list, sir. You're right. Tony, it sounds like this may have been one of your, what was a challenging list for you, uh, just given given what I know about you anyway. You you appreciate this. As far as ranking the top few, maybe, and then kind of figuring out, like, literally I I came up with, there were 17 movies that, that made the cut to cut down, and I ranked them 1 through 16, and there's one that I didn't include on the list because... It was already in another category, but it would easily probably knock something out of the top five. So we'll get there. Right. One of the things I found fascinating about the 90s and a, and a number of movies that I left, the 90s was a big decade for sports movies for kids. Like, and we talked about it in the family thing because we talked about the Sandlight. We, we talked about the Sandlot, but then we also talked about the Little I Like, I talked about the Little Giants in, in my family movies. And then there were all the, like, the knockoff baseball kids movies that came out as well like rookie of the year which angels we all know because the cubs you know, um, angels in the outfield one of my personal favorites that i don't think gets enough love is little big league which is about a little kid who turns up to manage the minnesota twins love that movie totally could happen by the way guys my grandfather could die well he already did uh, and he didn't leave me the twins so sad for me but we're gonna get to it we'll jump right in with my number 10 We'll see how we'll see how quickly we, we move up lists here today. But my number ten is the program starring James Kahn, higher on PC Tony's list that did not take long. Switched Fair enough. up the order on me, Pat. I'm looking at, I'm looking at your list. I'm like, that's not on your list. A, if you had paid attention to Twitter today, a recent change was made. I did pay attention. I'm just trying to figure out where the changes were. You will see. PC Tony, your number ten. My number 10 is a movie I actually brought up already on the 90s project, and it made it to this list simply because it is it is one of my three favorite movies ever, and it stars uh, Louis Gossip Jr. and um, James Woods. I think Oliver Platt is also in the movie, and it's Digstown, and it's about a boxer who's aged out, and the guy who promoted him or managed him, whatever, is in a pinch. And he brings him in to fight so many people and so many in like 48 hours or something like that. And he has to prove his residence and everything else. And I don't know, it might've been when I watched it kind of like um, eyes wide shut. But if you have never seen this movie and you enjoy those actors, watch it. It's a fun watch. It's a fun boxing movie. And the ending is really cool. Cool. Yeah. No, I've, uh, I've never seen it before. So I, I think, you know, I need to, I need to add it to the list. It's got to be streaming somewhere, right? I'll check it out <laughs> while we move on to Dave's number nine, number 10. Uh, my number 10 is kind of like my guilty pleasure on the list. It's one that I probably would have bumped if I hadn't known for a fact some other ones were on your guys' list. But uh, Pat's mentioned this. I don't remember where, but I know he's mentioned this movie before. It's uh, Necessary Roughness. Scott Bakula. Oh, I just watched that. I watched that on Friday. Scott Bakula, Kathy Ireland. It's just, it's a fun <laughs> football movie as contrasting some of the other stuff we'll talk about later uh it's just i mean kathy ireland is fantastic in this and and just the concept of her protector the big polynesian guy who's kind of her protector Uh, i love that guy it's just a a fun movie and it's it's i think it's underrated you know the the one coach is in there like when the other guys in the hospital just going off on on you know where he's like on the sidelines i can't do any of this shit you know and all this stuff it's it's oh, um, in, the, in the halftime speech. Yes. Where he's like, I 
let's analyze let's working what's working for us not a goddamn, goddamn thing, thing is working, working for us who are the announcers uh, rob schneider is the announcer yes oh uh, yeah 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 in the in the press box and he, he's the only one there sargy with the football it's a fumble fumbleaya yeah. Sargi, Fumbolito Wilkerson fumbles the ball. Literally watched it on um watched it on Friday. I was just bored I had the day off. My uh they were trying to cash in on that major league sort of uh, a movie. Like even the logo of the like the poster of the movie is a football with a big Texas hat, like steer long horns. And like, it was totally over the top and goofy. And the Weasley uh, administrator they, of the college, he was just trying to get in the gal's pants. You know? well, that guy's that guy's great though he all is. the time. He it's is. hilarious. He is. That's my so, number ten. That's a solid choice, sir. Ray, what's your number ten? Because I I saw I have concerns here. It's you should. No, it's not. Um. So so much of my enjoyment here at thechairshot.com is living to troll Patrick O'Dowd. And oh, no. this is not a purpose purposeful troll, but this is going to troll him nonetheless. And I'm sure the other two members of my esteemed dais. My number ten is Rudy. It's higher on my list. I know it is, but that's why I know you'd be pissed because I know what number it is on your list. Honestly, to I'm be honest, with you, I I made an adjustment to my list, and Rudy's a movie. Well, we'll get there. It wasn't even yeah. going to be on my top ten, but it is now. So it's I get okay. That. I, yeah. I will say it's a great movie. We'll it there. is. We'll speak more about it once we get to that list. But if you if you care about Rudy, you love Rudy. There is no middle ground. Right. Either you love it or you don't care about it at all. Well, anyway, number, so yeah, get your number nine, sir. It's probably higher on your guys' list too, but it is um, Happy Gilmore. Did not make my list. Nobody's list. It's going to be on a different list. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> exactly, Tony. Got you. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> so when it shows up in, in two weeks on the comedy show from all three of us, everybody knows why. Yeah, but DeBray kind of already explained the fact that he is younger, so there's le- there's right. less movies that made an impact on him in this decade, and this one is easily way more popular to a younger Ray Cash than to a you know a, a teenage or or you know twenty year old whoever the rest of us are. Absolutely. Being a kid who grew up <laughs> being a kid who grew up watching The Price is Right every day of my life, the him and Bob Barker is ingrained in my mind forever. Strong and, bitch. And we spoke about this, I think, um in the in the drama last week. But Adam Sandler is a fantastically thorough writer. I know so much of his humor you think is gross humor or grotesque humor, but he really puts heart in some of his movies. So I think it's, a, it, I think Happy Gilmore is one of his more clever comedies. I, I wouldn't call him goofy or I wouldn't call him gross. I'd call him goofy. Like, I think he's a lovable goofy humor. Like he doesn't like, he never really grossed me out in anything that he did. He was just, he was just always, he always did that. Like kind of, I'm a screw up humor. And, and I think my bigger challenge when we get to comedies is which Adam Sandler movie do I pick? That was a question for me because I was between this and Waterboy, right. and I thought Happy Gilmore to me was funnier. That's that's fair. Oh. So yeah, you know, solid pick, sir. That's a that's a very worthwhile number nine. Thank you. What a great conversation. Yeah. Because my number nine is the Waterboy. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so your conversation is so topically perfect that I'm listening to all this stuff going on and 
Water Boys one that could have been considered for my comedies. I moved it to sports because it's just all right. Here's a place where I can put it because I absolutely adore and love the Water Boys so much. Um, I didn't want to bump a comedy for that, so here you go, number nine. I mean, the story of Bobby Boucher is uh, it's one of the great football comedies of all time. Absolutely, I, I mean, you know. Michigan's experimenting with their towelboy, Ray. You know, it's led to a litany of problems for them. So she showed me her boobies and I liked it. <laughs> That's right. That I, yeah. I forbid you to Most date that woman, Tony. is the winner of that movie, by the way. Bobby don't want me to play the foosball no more. <laughs> That's right. I just, um, true story. I still call, like, now and again, I call Mrs. O'Dowd the devil. Like, wow. you're the devil. That's a uh, interesting strategy for your marriage, but you know what? We're going strong. It's you know, we're we're doing okay, Dave. So I, that hey, that whatever whatever floats your boat, man. That's okay. She's Kathy Bates cracks me up on that though. Who who been talking about Bobby? And and let's not forget the real star of Waterboy is Henry Winkler. I mean, he is absolutely phenomenal in that movie as Coach Klein. You know. My mother told me not to get a tattoo of Roy Orbison, but what mama don't know won't hurt her. <laughs> Dan, Dan Deardorff and, uh, and uh, what's his name? Brent Mossberger and Dan, Dan Fouts. Dan Fouts and Brent Or Dan Fouts, yeah. 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 Last game of the season, Dave can't hold back we, now. We know. We know. <laughs> All right. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Tony, why don't you lay your number nine on us? My number nine is Hoop Dreams. Hoop Dreams fell off my list. It was on and it fell off. This one you mentioned was going to show up yesterday when we were talking, Pat. I did. I told you it would. Um, Will Gates actually ended up going to Marquette, so that was kind of like what sparked me to watch the movie to begin with. I forget the other gentleman's name who ended up going to Central Arkansas, I believe it was. But to follow these two kids through high school and see the struggles that they had and the expectations that they had and then not meet those goals, right? or to kind of meet some of those goals, but not to be as successful as they thought they'd be on the college level. Um, It's just a, it's just a great story. I think one of the kids ended up going to public high school. Another one of the kids was going to a private school as well. And that was a little bit of difference in why they went to each college. They both, I think Gates suffered some injuries, which didn't help his facts out. But if you've never seen hoop dreams, Check it out. It's a phenomenal story about two young gentlemen trying to make their way into basketball through high school and into college. It really was one that I remember when it hit the theaters and people were, well, and just kind of made the circus. That was one people talked about all the time because it was a window into a world that a lot of folks aren't very familiar with. And, And so it was just, it was one of the early sort of documentaries looking at at that machine and how it works. And now, you know, it is a precursor to a lot of shows that we have now, like last chance you and things like that. Like hoop dreams really set a foundation for a lot of what we have now. So yeah, excellent, excellent choice. Like I said, nearly made mine. My, uh, my number nine is a hockey movie. Mystery Alaska. Excellent. On nobody's list. Russell Crowe. Hank Azaria. Oh, is it higher on your yeah, list? You Thanks for signaling quickly. I tried. So I, I tried. The Caps you, logo is wiping everything out. Maybe you should think about your logos and team choices in life then, David. <laughs> uh, I hear the Blues are always looking for new fans. All right, so sure. that brings it to my number eight. My number eight uh, is 
The Hurricane, starring Denzel Washington. My number, my number 13. Uh, 13. Great movie. It's on my mentioned. Fantastic movie. Based on the true story of Hurricane Ruby Carter, who was wrongfully convicted for a murder, uh, and the story of a young boy and some folks out of Canada who work to get Ruben Carter exonerated and freed. A lot of people know the Bob Dylan song, Denzel Washington in just a terrific, terrific role as always in the nineties. He was just amazing. Um, and you know, boxing is, you know, it's, it's one of those movies. It could have been on my dramas list. It was one of those that I considered putting on my dramas list because boxing is next to nothing in this film other than he's famous as a boxer um but a crooked town with a is it like a sheriff or a da out to get him and convict him that's that's what leads him to being put in jail and so it's it's a terrific it's a terrific terrific movie a great watch and just uh yeah stellar acting performance by by one denzel washington if not his best work easily top five unarguably oh it's up there yeah the acting work he did there. Um, does anybody else have any boxing movies higher on their list? No, I don't. That was my highest boxing yeah, or movie with a boxer. Rocky Five is not number one, Tony. Then, 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 yeah, yeah, right. So I saw that in the theaters, actually. Uh, I I, I want to mention a boxing movie that is actually number 11 on my list. Um, it's When We Were Kings, and it's the documentary about Muhammad Ali and the Rumble in the Jungle, I believe. And it's just a phenomenal movie. If you've never seen it, check it out. Pay the three ninety nine or whatever you're going to have to pay to rent it for 24 hours. You won't regret it. Uh, I just wanted to make sure we mentioned that at some point. There's tons of other great documentaries on Muhammad Ali. So boxing-wise, that that's the story to check out and everything surrounding him. Because he's connected to everything before him and after him. Um, in my opinion. Okay, number eight. My number eight. I just wanted to mention that coming off of the hurricane, Patrick. Um, cool. My number eight is Mr. Baseball. <laughs> Tom Selleck. Yes, I love this movie. I, I just, I loved it. It was great. It's an aged, it's an aging former great hitter in the Major League Baseball scene that ends up needing to go to Japan to continue his career. And he ends up getting a skipper on the team that is very stringent that he's not used to and kind of teaches him to refocus and rediscipline himself all along falling in love with his daughter not unknowingly and having to deal with that and also learning a little bit about japanese culture and and the way their uh, culture sees baseball so i really enjoyed the movie i'm i'm a baseball guy i grew up playing the sport so it, it was just it was just a lot of fun to me Tom Selleck in the 90s had some really good movies. This was one of them. Um, Quigley Down Under is a movie we won't mention uh, moving forward, I believe, from the 90s also. So good for him. Tom Selleck, Mr. Baseball, and, and and the supporting performances there. And he ends up coming back and and becomes more of a manager and learning better ways to help younger players along the way. Is the state insurance guy the other American teammate? Like the guy I don't, with the I, don't, I don't remember. I don't remember who else was in that movie. I feel like I that was his, the I picture his coach and, the, and then his girlfriend, but that's it. Right. I'm going to look that up while Dave gives you all his number eight. My number eight, I'm continuing with the heavy football theme at the outset of this, and it is uh, Any Given Sunday. Oh, higher on others. <laughs> universal finger. There you go. <laughs> well, I'm about to get another universal finger because my number eight is A League of Their Own. Yeah. 
You're lucky you didn't and, get a middle finger for that one, Ray. <laughs> I'll get a middle finger for a league of their own, but not for Rudy. Good to know. Well, both of them. Why, why do you think, why would you think that I was going to flip you off over Rudy? I, I don't know why we were clinging to this. Anyway. <laughs> don't don't be confused by the gif earlier. A league of their own is not my, my number one. Right. Um, my number seven is something that you mentioned on another episode, Pat, is the Sandlot. I, I want to I clarify. Sandlot would have been in my top five had I not already had it for family. I think I had it number two or in the top three or whatever. But sure. yes. Ray, 100%. Great fucking pick. Fantastic movie. Probably one of the reasons why, besides the fact that I'm black and naturally predetermined to be afraid of dogs, um, just <laughs> just a great movie. Of fan- it's, a, it's a fact. I'm sorry. My bad. Uh, I don't want to speak a whole lot about it because we've spoken about it at nauseam and other shows and for the sake of time, but it is the it's a beautiful coming of age story of friends just enjoying the time. And I love the end, you know, it's just kind of like, yeah, we made it. Um, but I don't really want to go too deep into it because we got a lot more to get to. And I have a feeling a lot, y'all might have some of the same, but I got all got different ones. So let's get deeper into that. Sure. One of the things that we didn't talk about when we talked about this the first time that I always found kind of, I don't want to say impressive, but kind of ahead of its time for the time that it was made is that, you know, it's these kids and there really is a variety of backgrounds yes. that are amongst these kids that, you know, the bet, the pitcher is a black, a black boy. The, um, the best player is, you know, a, a Latin American boy mm-hmm. and all these other boys that are, that are kind of around, like they're not, they're middle-class suburban, but they're not rich because the rich kids play, Overall, nice with the, it's a league team on the nice field that's well manicured, and these kids are, you know, it just it was it's there's a bit of Americana to it that that exists beyond it just being about baseball. So, Dave, it, 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 you it, oh, real quick, it, it it just one last little nugget. It goes to show you that diversity in movies is not hard. No, it's not at all, and it's not even a thing in the movie. Like, right? It's just these They're are the just kids. a bunch of boys, yeah. yeah. That play together. So excellent point. And it is one that I considered on flipping on to this one as well. But I, I didn't I kind of like I think it was Tony or whoever said I didn't want to double up on lists. So Dave, where do you and your number seven, sir? Uh, my number seven is one you mentioned already switching from baseball to hockey and it's Mystery Alaska. So the thing I love about Mystery Alaska and a lot of the 90s sports movies is what the sports movies in the 90s did so well is you're never really sure whether the team that is a central center to everything or the person is going to actually prevail. And you see this repeatedly as we go through these lists that you're just never sure. Okay. Is, is, is the hero going to win or are they going to lose? Mystery Alaska is one of those ones where, you know, this team from mystery Alaska that plays on ponds and, and plays a different kind of game. They get some coverage from sports illustrated. The New York Rangers end up going up there to play them and of course, this is one of those ones where they, they come tantalizingly close to winning, and then that last puck goes off the crossbar at the end. Uh, but it's the relationships of the people in the town and how they relate to each other, and just their, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. It's it's just a great movie. I, I love the the hockey theme is one part of it, but it is it's a different look on the sport a little bit, and just kind of in a little ways, it's like the U.S. versus USSR sort of sort of thing, but. 
it's it's a different kind of movie and and it just was done really well russell crowe was very strong in this one um he turned in a hell of a performance and it's just it's just a very enjoyable movie about small town hockey when you know how it's played up in alaska and that sort of thing so it's number seven for me and now they don't have to watch it since you spoiled the ending for anybody who hadn't seen it so good job this is not a spoiler free show as we've said three million times Granted, it's 30 years later, so hopefully. Uh, just to add to that, part of and this is my next two movies that are on my list. Small Town America is that's that's what I grew up with, and you know, and this is the smallest of small towns. This is Alaska playing pond hockey. The uh, the uniqueness of this town gathers, and everything shuts down for this game that's played amongst a select few of. And it's a it's a bit sexist. The men of the village uh, that play this this game of hockey, and for me, what I really it's funny watching it now versus when it first came out. I actually relate the most to Hank Azaria's character, who is the one who leaves said small town and is trying to come back and doesn't feel welcome and isn't welcomed by the town because the town actually condemns him for leaving. And coming back and, and being the city guy. And I, and I don't know that when I go back to my hometown, I'm condemned, but I know I don't fit the way I used to. And I really empathize with that out of Hank Azaria's character. Like, he doesn't fit in. Yeah. He wants to fit in. He wants to be a part maybe, of it, but he's not. Maybe it's because he insensitively portrayed an Indian uh, supermarket gas station clerk inappropriately. Yes, it was. it was all his fault. And I, I agree. Like it's a terrible caricature. And the movie's got one of the characters got a great name, Skank Martin. I mean, that's the <laughs> Skank Martin Tree. There's a guy named Tree. Tree Tree's great. Yeah, uh, that's uh, Burt Reynolds plays the the local judge. I who forgot is the, about uh, him. But semi pro hockey, like it's a really, I think it's a good movie. It's a lot of fun. Mike Myers in a cameo sort of role yes. as the in between periods guy who just does an over-the-top sort of Canadian impersonation. Uh, yeah, I, I like Mystery Alaska quite a bit. It's a, it's a good, good flick and, and one that I think is worth the time to watch, obviously. My number seven. Tony? Uh, drink. Tony. Drink, Patrick. Yeah, drink. Out of order. There you Tony, go. Tony, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, he keeps getting up and leaving to get more something. I don't know. I'm, I'm here for my turn. Take your turn. I wasn't going to throw you under the bus about anything today but oh stop it. just threw me under the bus no uh, <clears throat> the problem with a poo hbo max if you want to reference what i said before yeah my be. number seven is any given sunday ray's got that higher there we go your turn patrick uh my number seven uh sticking with football is varsity blues another one on my honorable mention list my number 15. really good movie agreed really good movie so I put Varsity Blues on this list and left off any given Sunday because this is another movie that I personally relate to a lot. When it came to Friday nights in my freaking hometown, you did you were at the football game because that is what your town like that was your town's identity where I grew up. Rural Illinois, middle of nowhere Illinois, 4000 people. You left like businesses just shut down for Friday night football. Like, and that's what we did. And we would move on to the next sports like basketball and, and, and whatnot during the, the school year. But our high school teams, like that's what you got into. And I was uh, like, I was in the marching band. So like, I wasn't, 
I wasn't one of the kids like on there. Like I wasn't treated like gods, but I saw the kids who were. My high school stopped classes to watch a guy in my class sign his national letter of intent to play at the University of Illinois to play division. Like we stopped everything. I remember our teacher like we got up, we stood around and watched him in the lobby of our high school sign his NLI. And so when I watched this and I watched this movie, like just that atmosphere, like that's what I feel they really nailed and what speaks to me day in and day out is that the the that's what you did. And even if you didn't like football, you went to the football game because that's where everybody was. What speaks to me is your girlfriend, you know, greeting you with the whipped cream bikini. I mean, totally. you can't top that in a lot of aspects of life at all. And just so everybody knows, I graduated from high school the year this movie came out. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, Varsity Blues. Thank you, Varsity Blues. <laughs> So yeah, that's my that's my number seven. My number six, moving right along, is a golf movie starring Kevin Costner, Tin Cup, higher up on PC Tony's list and higher up on Dave's list. So we will move on to Tony's number five. My number six is number six. a league of their own. I think that's higher, probably higher on somebody else's. Yep. I am struggling with, with the order and everything today. Jeez, it's got, 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 got your back. Got your back. I have a lot of You got to get that. You got to get that soundbite. Scotch, scotch, scotch. Down into my bed. I really All right. Dave's number six, I think. So my my number six is, and I thoroughly enjoyed listening to you guys discuss bowling before we got on the air. Because my number six is the greatest bowling movie ever. And it's Kingpin. My number 17. Patrick looks unimpressed. Greatest bowling movie ever. Uh, Are there other bowling movies? Yeah. Okay. I don't There's, think I classified the best comedy of the '90s a bowling movie, but we'll get there eventually. We don't have to talk <laughs> about it today, but I can sure tell you that rug really tied that room together. Um, oh yes, okay. well King that yeah. is fucking awesome. Yeah, I this was a movie that was huge. I mean, we used to watch this all the time. Uh, Woody Harrelson. I know there's another movie on your guys' list with Woody Harrelson. I opted for this one because I actually like Kingpin better. And I, Randy Quaid's performance is just tremendous in this movie. Vanessa Angel, the only role that she ever did that really mattered was in this movie. There's just so many aspects of it that I absolutely love. Patrick's not digging this choice at all, but. I'm with you 100%, Dave. This is probably one of the best comedic sports movies of all time. The fact that that they think that um this amish kid bowls what 240 or something but technically he just they do everything one and a half times better than everybody else or longer or harder and he's really bowling 15 frames like if you're a bowling if you actually bowl like to that point of the movie you're just laughing your ass off like they're so screwed and and bill murray as bernie mccracken is fucking phenomenal i mean one of his greatest greatest comedic characters of all time absolutely easily 10 frames that's for quakers <laughs> so anyway, I want to I want to listen to Patrick go off on why he despises this movie. So even though he told us how much he loved bowling before we started the yeah. podcast, oh, I do love bowling. I hate that movie. That's oh. all I'm gonna say. I hate that movie. Did you have to once deal with a cranky old landlord in such a way? Nope. I've tried to watch this movie on more than one occasion because it's one of those movies that ever like people are like. We love this movie. It's so great. I love this movie. It's so great. And I'm like, maybe I'm missing something. It's like Rise of Skywalker. 
I'm like, maybe I'm missing something. Then I watch it. And I'm like, I just don't see it. it so I I know I created I created friction with Tony, so I'm trying to hold off on when I disagree vehemently with Liz. Like last week, I, I feel like I hurt some feelings over Dances with Wolves. Oh, so yeah. I want Tony, let me oh. ask you something. Can you get sick no, from drinking? Oh, oh. Tony, can you get sick from drinking piss? Uh, <laughs> Ray, there were no, I mean, right now, Patrick, there were no feelings hurt whatsoever. It, go no, ahead. I'm well. there's, there, there's heat. There's heat. So Dances with Wolves nope, is a great a, story a about a gentleman who ends up starting a war uh, battle over this field where they, no, I won't do that. Sports no. movie? Ray. Yeah, they had, they had Ray, right. Ray, it's your number six. Uh, number six is Space Jam. All right. Um, my number eighteen. And I, 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 I got, this is the That's only movie. I put, I put it in my yeah. family. Movie. Me too. This is the only movie that I doubled up, doubled up on. But I just sure. thought it was too important to the genre because it's the greatest maybe cartoon character of all time teaming up with the greatest basketball player of all time. Too important. We don't need to speak about it. Everybody knows Space Jam. Look out for Space Jam Two coming out this year, I believe, right? Yeah, I think it's I think it's this year. Can I can I ask one question though? Does anybody here wonder how hard the practices were that Jordan really ran? Because you know he he holds people to high standards. And Did I just you, wondered the last thing. Are you, are you are you talking about like kayfabe or In like real? when he actually had people come by and play with? Him? No, I'm are talking you, when he trained oh. Bugs Bunny. Because oh. I'm trying to be funny, and you you know shit on the joke. Um, we'll just move on. <laughs> <laughs> to answer the question, remember he wasn't Jordan until like right before the game. He wasn't him again. So then they got out. I think they got off lucky. Fair. Um, fair. My number five is that Woody Harrelson movie that everybody else has. That's better, and that is White Man Can't Jump. So yeah, okay. So to me, for number five, uh, my number five. Pat mentioned it already. It's Tin Cup. I don't know if that's still higher higher on Tunnies. On we go. My number five is uh, higher on Patrick's list. It's Rudy. Look at this. It, we're, we're, we, st- we still got 30 minutes left in the show. And we're almost Four done. hours. Number, hell. What's number five? We all, we've, we've all played this game long enough to know how this works, everyone. Yeah, so number five. Right. My number five is the other Kevin Costner movie I had on here, and that's For Love of a Game higher up on dave's list so that brings it to my number four i write on the numbers now and uh that's uh the tom cruise movie with cuba gooding jr jerry Maguire, higher on ray's list so it was, it's, it's my number four as well is, pat this is great audio guys <laughs> oh we're gonna get there does anybody oh that's a good question does anybody have a movie with um Denzel Washington and Ray Allen higher on their list. Ray does. It's my number four. Oh, well, so we're going to talk about that next. That's my number four. All right, we'll wait till Ray's ready then. No, go ahead because because uh, Dave, would you yeah, say number four? My, my number four is Jerry yeah. Maguire as well. So yeah. Well, go ahead, Tony. All right. This movie is so good. We're going to play the theme song in the background during it. I went and remember going. The, you know what I remember most from going to this movie? And I believe I was also a senior in high school when this came out is the recruitment scene in the in the dorm room 
was phenomenal as a young 17, 18-year-old, if you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, great story, great job by Denzel Washington. I'm I live in Milwaukee, so Ray Allen at the time being in this movie was just phenomenal. And uh, I, I thought they did a great job about telling a different kind of story about his father had left him and, and is trying to get back to get him to commit somewhere so that he can get out and everything else. And along the way, you know, he, he, he just wants his son to do his own thing. So I really enjoyed the movie. I, I you, you can't imagine the amount of, of love we have for this, you know, being in Milwaukee and being fans of Ray Allen and the Bucks at the time. I, uh, I uh, grew up grew wanting up, to play basketball. To play basketball. I, I was going to be an NBA player. Uh, it's, I just knew I was going to be in the league. So you see movies like this, and again, come. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not. I didn't grow up poor. I didn't grow up rich, but I didn't grow up poor. So you know, but I'm from the hood, and so being a kid from the hood, seeing a lot of the same things that Jesus Shuttlesworth did, not knowing my dad, right? You know, seeing these things, you you see parallels in in your life. Now, I never got anywhere close. <laughs> <laughs> to that but you know you you can see i like movies that you can see yourself in much like you spoke about pat one of the most iconic character names in the history of movie making jesus shuttlesworth it's so iconic that when they do um nickname day in the nba when ray allen was still playing he put that as his nickname on the back of his jersey but just fantastic movie and again there are not five actors in the world better than Denzel Washington, and he murdered this role. I think he killed it. Um, fantastic. The dichotomy between him and Ray Allen, who we need to give credit for because never acted a day in his life before this movie. And there are parts you can tell, but by and large throughout most of the movie, he seems like a capable actor. So, fantastic movie. Great sports movie. Great movie outside of sports. So... Uh, I've never seen this movie. What? Also, that's okay, because half of the movies y'all talking about, I ain't seen either. So we all good. Awesome. <laughs> you got your, you got the rest of your night plan then. And, and honest to God, it's it's not even one of those movies like I avoided. I just like I don't, I don't know the confluence of the universe resulted in me like never seeing this film. I would watch that before Digstown, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, so it should be back on me, right? Just knocked out their number fours. Dave and I matched up, so it should be Ray again on three? for number three. Yes, is that right, guys? So where is I thought Jerry Maguire is, is higher up here, still going. Jerry, Jerry Maguire is higher on my list. Yeah, Jerry okay. Jerry Maguire is my number three. So, so yeah, so you were four for he got game Ray, then it's Ray's three. Uh, any given Sunday. Yep, my seven. Okay. Uh, my name is Willie. Willie Beeman. As, look, man, talk about all-star ensembles. Uh, the great Al Pacino with one of my favorite like movie scenes ever, uh, the inch-by-inch inch scene. I like if you if you ever need to be pumped up, that's one of the ones I think you or motivate. That's one of those scenes you'll ever you listen you need to uh check out. But I mean, my God, Dennis Quaid, James Woods, um, my boy, uh, Jamie Foxx, Al Pacino, of course, uh, Andrew Jim Brown, Andrew Bruniarski, who also stars in my number three coming up, Cameron, sure. Cameron Diaz, Omar. Lawrence Taylor, Omar Epps, it, Omar's in that movie, Holly Berry, 
Oh no, I'm talking about my movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, then let me let me hurry up and move on so we can talk about his. No, uh, I'm just kidding. Any given Sunday is a great movie, and it's. I, I I've heard a lot of football players say they don't like it, but I've heard a lot of football players say they do. But I'd imagine this is about as real as it gets in like big time football, and maybe that's the lure of the movie is that it makes you think that, and this shit is real. Um, not to mention the real life fight that uh, Jamie Foxx and Ella Cool J had. Hilarious, if you ever read about that. And it has some really good scenes too, man. Like, it has some really good football scenes. Uh, yeah, just really dope movie, man. And to see, I'm a Jamie, Jamie Foxx fan. To see that kid at, his, at that stage of his career have toe-to-toe scenes with Al fucking Pacino. Yeah, man. At, like, everybody in that movie was better off afterwards. I think it's just, it was great for everybody. I don't think anybody dislikes the breakdown of the different dichotomies between coach and owner, coach and players, players and players, assistant coaches and players, doctors that work for teams and players. I think the problem where Even the criticism media, came in, media, right, media and coaches. I think, I think the acclaimed criticism came in when it was the way that they showed the football in the quick cut, very fast scenes, and a lot of people didn't enjoy that. Um, I didn't mind it. I didn't think it was that bad. I didn't see that in the movie theater, though. A lot of people told mm-hmm. me that in the theater, that, that was not enjoyable to watch like that. Everything else, Cameron Diaz and her mom and taking over a football team and then between Al Pacino and Cameron Diaz and Pacino and his lady friend that he paid and you got Lawrence Taylor and you got James Brown and, and everybody else in that movie. Amazing. I mean, this is a true testament how talented Jamie Foxx has been since – the beginning. I'll, what I'll say about it is contrasting this to Varsity Blues, which I know is on Pat's list and all of our honorable mentions. Uh, I prefer any given Sunday because I felt it's a little bit more real. Varsity Blues kind of glorifies football, like Pat saying it, it, the whole town revolves around it. Now it's not all sunshine and roses in Varsity Blues, obviously, but any given Sunday shows in one movie everything that's great about football and then everything that's really not so great about football compromising people's health for the game like James Woods character does uh you know and, and Dennis Quaid's character realizing I'm done I shouldn't be playing this game his wife not knowing how in the world are we going to do anything unless you're out there playing so it's got all the and Lawrence Taylor dealing with probably the early beginnings of CTE and that kind of stuff so it's fantastic because it shows what's great about the game itself but it also p- pulls back the curtain a little bit and shows you what's going on behind the scenes and that not everything is, is fantastic. And I especially like at the end where Pacino's like, everybody thinks he's retiring. He's like, no, I'm going to this expansion team in Albuquerque and I'm taking the star quarterback with me. So uh, it, it's, it's a fantastic choice. Great movie. Cool. Number three, Dave? Uh, my number three, Pat, you mentioned er- earlier, it's for love of the game. With uh, Kevin Costner, Kelly, the you know, unfortunately, Kelly Preston passed away this last year. Uh, this this movie is, and I was trying to explain it to my wife, trying to convince her to watch it because I I own it and I'm saying you should watch this. You know, she's like, it's a sports movie. I don't really care about it. It's like it's a sports movie wrapped around this really great love story, and the love story aspect and Kevin Costner's character growing into a better man. Um, but like I said earlier. Sports movies of the 90s do such a great job of capturing that. Are they going to succeed or going to fail? This movie probably does it better than any of them. That perfect game that he's pitching and that last, that ninth inning, and especially where he's going against that kid who he goes, runs into in the hallway, random passing, and it's them at the end. 
and they do that ending so well where you think that ball's going to get to the outfield and it doesn't. And they make the play and he pitches a perfect game and then realizes, you know, in, in his hotel room sobbing because he realizes that the perfect game is, it's just a game. His life is far from perfect. Um, it's a fantastic movie. It's not just a baseball movie. It's, it's, a, it's a human nature movie. It's a love story. It's got everything in it. I'm, it's one of my favorite sport movies of all time. Can I can I go? Go ahead. I'm a pitcher. If I was going to classify myself as anything, and I have had success at a higher level than most at said thing, and it's the only thing I've had success at a higher level than most. And for him to be thinking all these things while doing this is unrealistic to me. For him to not think throwing a perfect game in the last game he's ever going to pitch, regardless of what's going on in his life, is unrealistic to me. Everything outside of that, if you're not who I am inside of the sports world, it's phenomenally written. It's excellently acted. But I've never, ever been in that much control and done that well and thought about that many things at once while doing it sports-wise. So that's my only drawback. But otherwise, Dave, I've watched it. I enjoyed it. I think Kevin Costner did a great job. It shows you some really cool things about what's going on while you're involved. But these are split-second things that are going on in, 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 in athletes' heads, in my opinion. I could be completely wrong. I'm just comparing it to my experience, but an excellent movie nonetheless. Right. I think from the perspective of a drama, and it's, it's definitely for me a sports drama where, again – the game itself is secondary to the other story that they're telling as he's, you know, they're, they're using this metaphor of nine innings to be like this reflection of his life over time and his relationship with Kelly Preston's character is, is really what's great about it. I, you know, I played baseball. I play, anybody who's played any sport knows that when you're thinking about other stuff, you're usually not playing your best. I, like, honestly, like any sport I've ever played, like if I'm distracted, outside of what I'm trying to do, then, then yeah. Uh, but it is, it's just a, it's a sweet tale. In, in my opinion, it's, it's great. I love, I actually love a lot of the supporting cast as well. John C. Riley as his catcher and that's his catcher. And I think anybody who follows baseball knows that some pitchers are like that. They got their catcher and that's their guy. And you don't get rid of their guy. You get rid of their guy, you get rid of them. And, um, and JK Simmons as the manager. Was just uh, was just some some really good casting there as well. So that's why it was it was number five on my list. So number three for Dave, number five. Uh, Mitani, why don't you hit us with your number three, which was my number ten, if I'm hearing you correctly? Yeah. So you talk about the realist, the the realness, and the behind the scenes, what you may not know about things. And for me, the program uh, with James Khan. Etc. Etc. I, I brought up uh, Andrew, and I'm not sure if I'm saying his last name, uh, Brynarowski. He also played a defensive lineman in the program and in Any Given Sunday. So if you've seen both those movies, you know who I'm talking about. He's the guy who was getting really roided up in the program. And I think coming off the heels of like the success around like the Miami Dynasty in the late '80s, early '90s, this was an easy movie to make for this. Right? There's plenty of great actors. Like I said, Halle Berry, um, Omar Epps, Christy Swanson is in this movie. Um, it's just, there's more to college athletics than just, they have to go to class and they have a beer and then they go to practice. Like there's other things going on. These are older 
almost not these are non-adolescents becoming adults right and, and it's a it's right. an interesting transition and it's a fun watch as far as i'm concerned starting defense place at the table uh um it's funny you mentioned uh that guy at the very top he's also in necessary roughness interestingly enough he plays the uh the rodeo guy wyatt uh, as well as uh, the linebacker who gets hurt, he's in necessary reference. He's Featherstone, the uh, the wide receiver who can't catch anything in uh, in necessary reference. It's uh, a lot of crossover there with these football movies. But the program for me, I worked I worked with a guy who worked at Florida State, and he hated that movie because you can't deny the aesthetic. Looks like Florida State back, and it, that movie was made at the height of like the Bobby Bowden Florida State powerhouse teams. And so this guy would get so offended when I would talk about liking the program because the aesthetic and the look of everything was very much like looked like Florida State and it was at the height of when Florida State was just doing everything in the 90s, winning all the games. Bobby Bowden was on top of the world and I would just I'd be like I like the program be like, "What? You think we're a bunch of cheaters?" I was like, "No." I like them. He's like, we get it. We get it. You think the Florida State cheats and everything. I was like, no, no, I don't understand you. But uh, I think the only thing that was the most unrealistic is I never can wrap my head around how many football games the team actually played that season uh, for their conference championships to go to a, a major bowl. It seemed like nine. Um, and I don't remember how long football seasons were back then, but it seemed like they were a little short of a few games. But yeah, I loved it. Halle Berry, Omar Epps, good stuff. A good window, at least uh, an initial window into college football. All right, so that brings me to my number three. All right, my number three is uh, White Men Can't Jump. Still higher on Tony's list. So that brings me to my number. Did we cover Jerry? Did we cover Jerry Maguire? Is it still higher on somebody's list? It is. It is my number two. Oh, okay. Sorry, I just I felt like we talked about it forever ago. What about Tin Cup, Tony? Did we get Tin Cup? Not yet. What's your number two, Patrick? Wow. I just I I feel I feel like that might be overrated. My number two is a league of their own. So yeah, I've given away my number one then. So he's giving away Dave's number one. Alright. So my number, two is my, tin, number my number two is Tin Cup. I, I, I love oh. the movie. Kevin Costner, Renee Russo, Renee Russo, uh Cheech Marin, uh Don Johnson, I believe. Don like like when Don Johnson just takes a five iron and turns down the the road and hits it straight as an arrow and out drives him is just like dumbass, dumbass. And then and then you get and then you get Roy McAvoy with Gary McCord inside the bar. All right, he's gonna attempt to go over the bar underneath the awning there, and he's gonna skip the ball oh, off the deck the and, and yeah, knock the stork right off that perch over there. So let's let's see what we can do here. And then the fact at the end where he totally flames out and his love interest doesn't care because she just loves him. And he's like, this is your last ball, man. You better hit it. And he, and he hits it in, right? So it's such an unrealistic movie from a lot of the things that happen golf-wise. But at the same time, it's so interesting. You get caught up in it. I mean, I could watch it over and over again. I've seen it in the theater. I'm a golf fan. So there you go. I, I think my favorite exchange you were you were talking about is when he's like, I can make that shot. And he's like, well, then do it and quit fucking around. Yeah. <laughs> it was just so great. And then, of this course, is your last he, ball, Holmes. 
Right. I um, there's so Kevin Costner in sports movies just just doesn't miss. Like it doesn't seem to matter the sport. Uh, I love him as the golf, uh, you know, being that golf pro. And Rene Russo's in there for lessons. And he's like, okay, now waggle. And the guys are sitting on the porch being like, oh, he's got her waggling. <laughs> and it just he's kind of a, you know, he's kind of a little sleazy, but he's kind of hilarious and awesome at the same time. And it's just great. As someone who's not necessarily for golf as much for tournaments that way, but as far as baseball and softball in my life has shown up late for things or on the move when they show Kevin Costner enjoying himself the night before the U.S. Open starts yes. and ends up having to wake himself up from a drunken stupor because he didn't get enough sleep and show up just in the nick of time. I can relate with that. It's a chili dipper. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've told many a people on the golf course, listen, I know what you're doing wrong. What? What am I doing wrong? Take all your change and put it in your left pocket. <laughs> I feel stupid, Robbie. Got a what do case, you think you look Got a case of the yeah, shanks, Tony. Why do you think you look right now? Why do you, look right now? <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you send another Hauser rocket up with Jack Nicholas's ass? <laughs> <laughs> Great lines. A lot of good lines in that one. Good pick, Tony. Good yeah, pick. Yeah, it's my number five. Hey, it was my number five. The wife and I just actually watched some of that this morning. So it was, uh, it, it's, it's fresh in my mind, but yeah, it's, it's an excellent movie. Um, to my, Let me just say, can I just say one last thing about that? Actually relating to the actual game of golf. Okay. One of the first ever and most popular first graphite shafts, like when golf drivers went from a steel shaft to a graphite shaft was in this movie and Taylor made his bubble burner shaft. If you're a golfer, you know what that is displayed prominently in this movie. So golf from a, from a golf standpoint as well, kind of adapted something. So sorry, golf, golf nerd thing, golf nerd qualifying for the tour with nothing but a seven iron, Tony, we could pull that off, right? Yes. I'm so glad you mentioned that too. Great, great out, Dave. Great out there. How about that? How about that shot on 15? What did you hit there? Was it a seven iron? Yeah, it was a seven iron. Yeah, it was a seven iron or, or shovels or whatever the hell else he uses as the movie goes along. So it's to my number two. Uh, yes, sir. My number two, I'm guessing, is number one on Pat's list, and it's Rudy. Yep. There you go. Move along. Well, I gave the game away, but my number two is Jerry Maguire. And I know that's, I'm know i sure that's the highest because I think we know what know what everybody's number ones are, except for mine. <laughs> wink, wink. Um. One of the most quotable movies of the 90s. Um, one of the movies that just continue to make Tom Cruise a heartthrob and a superstar. I believe this is the first time you get to see the archety- archetypal uh, money-hungry diva Robert Seaver because Cuba killed Ron Tidwell. I mean, <laughs> to this day, if you hear Show Me the Money, you know where it's coming from. Um, also, you had me, you had me, uh, you had me at hello. But... Um, but to to my knowledge, and again, I'm younger than everybody, this is the first time you got a chance to see a sports movie from an agent's perspective. And uh, I thought that was a really cool way to look at the lens of sports. And sports was really secondary to this movie because this was a love story between him and Renee Zellweger. Nonetheless, it's really cool to see how, you know, especially when uh, Rod Tidwell scored a touchdown and then, like, you think he's out and then he gets up and starts losing his mind. <laughs> And for a second, you can see, like, you can see Jerry think, oh, it's over. 
everything we worked for is over. And then your boy gets up and loses his mind. It's one of the most fun movies I've ever watched. Super quotable. Has something for everybody. Um, and uh, yeah. Cuba won for that, didn't he? Didn't that what he won? Well, that's best the he did the backflip on stage or something, didn't he? Well, Julian's pretty crazy. He does backflips randomly. Can I do one of my favorite movie lines of all time? Sure. I love black people! Congratulations, you are still my agent. Yeah, it's such it's such a great movie. The, the relationship between uh, Jerry and Rod Tidwell and that how that evolves where really Rod's almost a second thought after he leaves the big agency. He's focused on... I forget what the one guy's name was who he's he's trying to rope him in and then he goes with the Kush. Kush, yeah. It's Kush. And then he goes with the Weasley the Weasley other guy, you know, and then but the relationship Jerry realizes as it goes along, it's a maturation process of Jerry Maguire as the movie goes along. And of course him singing to free falling as he's driving along. There's another iconic moment from the movie. it's it's tremendous in every way. I mean, it's number four on my list, so I'm not far off from you guys. I don't have and, it and on my list. Bob, how can you forget Bob Sugar, by the way? Jay Bob Sugar. There's so many. <laughs> Amazing. Um, who? Some of the other. Um, some of the other clients are big name actors too, and I can't exactly remember who they were. Uh, the younger lady they, they who was like, a tennis star. Yeah, they had a lot of cameos from like legit athletes, like Troy Aikman's in there as a character at one point. Um, we don't have that kind of relationship. Right. Um, sorry, I know you were you were looking for like the call around and who are the people he called. Um, okay, but you also have one of the most iconic scenes ever, I believe, with Kelly Preston. And another great line from this movie is, "Don't ever stop fucking me." Right? Yes. I mean, so you go, you go, you go, you go. You got great lines here being shouted. I I, lo- I love that you're like those are your great lines and I'm sitting there like my favorite line is when Renee Zellweger is like I love him for the man he wants to be and I love him for the man that he already is like I'm like she Patrick, and she's supposed to be the sweet wholesome talking, what do you want me to do about it tell me what you want me <laughs> to do no, about no, it Harry Spears but as the as the asshole brother of Rod Tidwell perfect be like I'm just trying to keep it real Regina King. Uh, who gets overlooked, I think, a little bit as Rod's wife. I just want you guys to know something. You all complete me. Oh, Jesus. Oh, that's right. That was in that movie, too. That's another one. Good point. It's a romantic comedy with a little bit of sports, but highly enjoyable. And, and of course, the little kid. That's right. Oh, yeah. Um, What's his name? Lip Nicky. Lip Nicky, because he was a... Ray. His name's Ray. You know the dogs and bees can smell fear? Alright, so I apologize for number one. Go ahead. And the sister. Who was the sister? The sister Bonnie was... Yep, Bonnie there you, go. there you go. So I apologize for number one because I told you guys earlier I only had one crossover but I have another and I forgot I put this on my up. other list. I'll hang up if it's Fern Gully. <laughs> it's Fern Gully. I'm going to hang up. I swear to God. I got I the most on just the red You don't have to hang up. I'll just mute it. I'm going to hang up. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, everybody in between, a number one movie is for, no, it's not for, it's the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> I knew it. Um, I, I really didn't want to do a lot of crossovers, but again, I look, if you take away all of the categories, right, if we don't have a comedy category, 
If we don't have a uh, children's or family category, we're just talking about the best sports movies of the 90s. I don't think there's a better sports movie made in the 1990s than The Mighty Ducks. It has everything you want. It has a fantastic role played and murdered by uh, Emilio Estevez. The damn kids, right? The, the, oh, so many of the kids. Goldberg and uh, um, I'm going to call his name Asperger. What's the kid with the Averson? Whatever his name is. Averman. Averman, thank you. Charlie Conway, like Adam Banks, so many great roles and great. It's a, it's just it's, it's it is the top movie of the '90s when it comes to sports, in my opinion. Um, as noted, as it not only did it have two great sequels, but it 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 spawned the actual franchise. So it it like I and I know I'm getting looked at kind of crazy, but I it's top movie to me. I don't even think it's close. It also spawned a cartoon, man. Not Here of the comes the Mighty Ducks. Yeah, that's but my boy Wild Wing. Yeah. Yes, I am a child of the '90s. I remember the cartoon too. So there you go. Yeah, that's me. And I know I'm, nobody's going to vote for me when we do the poll, but I don't care. They might. You don't know that. I didn't think I'd get two votes for Schindler's List, and that worked out. <laughs> you got to stay true to who you are, brother. That is true. That is true. All right. So we are Dave. You're number one, sir. So my number one is a league of their own. And I, as far as sports movies go and, and sports comedies. And I mean, this movie's got it all. I, I mean, it, 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 and it's baseball. Yes, but it's a different take on baseball. It's girls playing baseball and, and it's Tom Hanks continuing to dominate and own the nineties in one of his best roles as Jimmy Dugan. It's just, I mean, it's one of those movies where whenever it's on even like regular TV, I'll stop and watch it because there's just so many great moments in the movie as it goes along. It's very funny. It, it's It's got, you know, talking, like I've said many times now, the sports movies and whether people are going to succeed or not at the end. I'm still to this day, and I was going to throw this out to you guys to see what you think. I'm still not sure whether Gina Davis intentionally drops the ball there or whether it's actually really knocked out of her hand on impact. I've never been able to decide that because part of me says she dropped it to put her sister over. And the other part says she got knocked on her ass and it came out. It's a great ending. It's, it's a fascinating look at women's baseball, loosely based on some aspect of history. Sure. But John Lovett's performance at the beginning of the movie is absolutely fantastic. Uh, yeah. Tom Hanks, Gina Davis, there's Madonna in probably the only acting role she ever did that really, was awesome. Rosie McDonald or what? Did, Rosie I disagree Rosie? on that. But that's oh, what other movie was she in? That was worth a shit. She was in, well, so I'm De- a musical well, guy. So desperately I actually like her Susan. role in Avita. I mean, there's, there's, she wasn't bad. I'm just saying she's not the terrible actress she would like to make her to be. No, she's not. She's not, but this was her best role. I, I think that we, we, we talk about Rosie O'Donnell. No, Madonna. No, Madonna. Madonna. Oh, Avita. Uh, Thank you. I'd still say this was her best role, but it, it's a fantastic. But you don't like music, so that's okay. I don't like music. We did a whole show on musical acts, didn't we? We did. Um, but anyway, just, that's just, that, just trolling. Those are my thoughts on uh, on a League of Their Own. Why I've got it number one because it is. It's just a great sports comedy that has. I mean, it's still, it's still great to watch to this day. So those are my thoughts on it. I'll turn it over to you guys. Are you crying? 
There's no crying in baseball. It's another very quotable movie. She's crying, sir. I mean, it it just got too hard. It's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't, everyone do it would do it. The hard is what makes it great. I mean, lines like one of the best lines in the movie is that one. Do you guys look like a little penis with a hat on it? (laughs) Do you guys know anybody who can who can get out at third base or first base during the split? Uh, no. Seen a lot of guys do that. The, the oh, split that she did? No. Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of guys do the splits at first base that are first. Can base. you look? Give me something. Yeah, I'm gotta, trying yeah, to contribute. Do Damn. Just trying to, she you know, represent well, as a journal. So <laughs> the funniest thing I've ever the, said. She did, the, <laughs> she did the splits, making a catch in foul territory. If we're really splitting hairs. But, that way, uh, oh, first, yeah, I've seen that. Ray loved that last <laughs> line. Tom Hanks is so great in that movie. Um, I, I just, I love all it. You know, Mr. Doogie, can we have your autograph? He signs the ball and they're like, wow, avoid the clap, Jimmy Doogie. That's good advice. <laughs> That's good advice. Yes, it was, it was good stuff. Um, yeah, the only thing that I always got annoyed with was after the theatrical release, that was one of those movies that when it was released in video and on TV and stuff, introduced pan and scan technology. So for those of you who don't know what pan and scan technology is, it was this technique that they used to do to make up for the fact that your square television wasn't a widescreen television. And so they would do this weird camera effect where a scene would sort of move slightly at different times to show you the entire picture because they couldn't keep it all on one screen. That's my random trivia bit about A League of Their Own. It was one of the first ones to really do it. I think they've since fixed that since widescreen editions of things have come out. Tony, you're number one, sir. My number one is the greatest sports movie of all time, and it will be proven once we put this poll out, just like Forrest Gump was the greatest drama of all time. And it is White Men Can't Jump. And it is probably the greatest line in the history of movies ever is, you might be listening, but you can't hear Jimmy. Along with... Billy, come back. I want to school. And along with what is Quince? What is Kumquat? I mean, Wesley Snipes, Woody Harrelson, and Rosie O'Donnell. They lobbed them the ball. And they hit it out of the fucking park. And it's amazing. Go ahead, Ro- Ray. What? Rosie, Rosie Perez. O'Donnell? Rosie Perez. <laughs> yeah. Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah. God dang, honey. <laughs> that would have been a weird movie, hey? Anyway. I, you know... Just, just everything that happens from from them two going against each other initially to coming together as a duo on the basketball court and 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 the tournament and how did you know I could dunk that ball and Woody Harrelson getting uh, Rosie Perez on Jeopardy and you know no you're shooting at Uganda I I think I picked the right country there um, when he has to turn around and throw the ball you know three quarters court if, if you've seen the movie it's just acting is great the writing is great the story is great and for me personally like i'm going to be 100 honest right now in the times that we live in i live in milwaukee one of the most segregated parts of uh, cities in the united states and my main connection to people that aren't white honestly through my entire life has been through sports and i and i have that and and it shows you how people from other cultures can connect with each other through the realm of sports and how it brings people together and how it teaches people to be one. And it doesn't matter who you are, that we're all the same. And and that's one of my favorite parts of this movie. 
We going sizzler. We going sizzler. We going sizzler. Yeah, I uh, I remember when I was a kid, for the longest time, my parents thought that movie was like too risque for me to watch. Now, bear in mind, my parents allowed me to watch the Porky's franchise in the early 80s, yet White Men Can't Jump was too much for the parents of Patrick O'Dowd for a really long time. It's it's a brilliant movie, and it's it's this thing where you see the rise and fall of two different guys because you see one guy really continue to rise and do everything he can for his family, Wesley Snipes, and Woody Harrelson can't get out of his own way because he loves the hustle and the game so much, and he just can't let it go. And he feels like he owes Wesley Snipes at the end, which is why he goes through with it. But at the end, like he he sacrifices his relationship because he thinks that Gloria is just going to come back to him. And she just, she, that was it. Like she really had to hit her breaking point because she had finally, they had gotten to a place where they would be okay. And he, he didn't need this. Uh, and so it's, it's actually like, I think it's a, a really smart movie. I think it's a fascinating movie uh, and is well worthy of a number one spot. Do you guys realize this is the first time we're not going to match up? Um, we're going to have four distinct number ones this time. Yeah. That's, that's, that's great. I, I just want to say that in in some circles in my younger years, I was known as Billy Ho. And for the record, isn't this the first time we ever heard the phrase "in the zone"? I think so. Yeah, when she's doing the doing the Jeopardy thing, and yeah. So, like this movie is great. I'm not disagreeing with you guys. This is the one that I deliberately left off because I knew it was going to show up on all three of yours, and I said, "I'm going to put something else into the mix just because I know it's going to be on all their lists." So. But it's it's definitely worthy. Better podcasting. Thank you. Inadvertently. But yes, right. thank you. So my number one, as Ray alluded to back when he said he was trolling me with his number ten, is uh, is Rudy. And before I before I talk about Rudy, let's get a couple of things out of the way. One, Rudy was offsides. Everybody knows it. He was offsides. Just let it go. And two, in real life, Rudy is kind of an insufferable dude. Uh, but the drama of this story about a guy who is smaller than everybody else, but just works harder than everybody else to not only kind of achieve his dream to play football, you know, at the University of Notre Dame, to see the field and, and to make a play, and, and that's the thing that's so great about this is the drama about this is like he doesn't become an all-american he doesn't become anything special he's just a dude who gets crack crap kicked out of him and there's this guy on just about every team in america and this guy just happened to make the biggest play and become one of the last people you know one of the few people to be carried off the field at south bend because his his work and his heart and his dedication to to make that hit um, and to make that one play and to, and to just, you know, the whole thing is about him just never quitting the whole time. So for him to go through and, and not quit and, and still make a hit, even when the game was well in hand is it's about, you know, him validating himself. It's about him validating himself to his parents, his family. And I, I can't help it. I love it. Dave, you talked about movies that you stop and watch when it's on. I will stop and watch Rudy and I don't cry like a baby. Um, or anything at the end of that like the first time i saw it yeah 
But, you know, in, in later watchings, it's just Sean Astin pours everything he has into that movie. He looks so great. You get a young Vince Vaughn in that movie. There's a young John Favreau in that movie. There's just so much, so much drama, like out of a out of a practice team guy who who gets to play one game, in one game. Yeah, everything I echo everything you say. I mean, and and, and the movie took some liberties, like there was no janitor. Oh yeah, absolutely. you know that sort of. He's an amalgamation yep. of various characters that they just kind of put into the movie because for dramatic effect, and it works extremely well because well, you that, get charles s dutton in a movie so how can you fight ex- charles s dutton exactly um i think like the part that gets me in the feels more than the end is that lat where he's got it's that last letter from you know from notre dame he's gone through the application process this is the last time he goes sits on that bench right across the river from south bend opens the letter and he's accepted and you just see him i mean it's so many emotions coming out of him that how can you not relate to that and I mean, and, and the whole thing is all he wants to do is just dress. It's all about just dressing for morning game, not even playing. And then the players rallying around him. You got to get him in the game so he's actually on the record books. It's it's a tremendous, great story about overcoming, you know, the hand that God has dealt you. Basically, you're undersized. You're too small. You come from this town. Your family's working in a steel mill. Nobody's ever reached the level that you're aspiring to, and he does it. And it's it's tremendous. It's absolutely worthy yeah. of a number one pick. Um, you know, it's my number Ned two. Ned Beatty as his dad. Ned yeah. Beatty as his dad. Ned Beatty really, as his really dad. Good. Yeah, it's it's a um, phenomenal movie. Yeah, and, and kind of like how I joked about Braveheart, you talked about liberties. Like, there's a lot of inaccuracies in there. Like, the big scene where the players drop all their jerseys on the coach's desk, that never happened that way. Um, some I think one, I think the captain of the team, if I remember the story correctly, the captain of the team did advocate for him to, to be put on the roster, but it was never a question that he was going to be on the roster. Like that was done for dramatic effect to tell a story. And um, the theme song, but it's, but it's still just a good story, the right? Theme, the theme is fantastic as well. Oh yeah. The music, the chant, like, yeah, you just, it's, it's good. To me, one of the most important parts of this movie is, is in cinematic like chronological orderness is the fact that it's John Favreau and Vince Vaughn working together. Right. I believe for the first we time. Talked about that. Yeah. And John Favreau, you want to talk about a guy who transformed himself. He looks like a different human being now. Like if you, if I were to point that him out, I, nobody believe me. It's you, so crazy. You ever seen the replacements, which he comes out in 2000. Yeah. You know, he's, he's a middle linebacker in that movie. And to see him now, yeah. Danny, oh, like no. Danny. no, 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 no. You want to see John Favreau at his peak physical condition? Watch a movie called Very Bad Things. Yep. Okay. Oh God, it's a very. It, it's an. Watch it. Watch it with your. Watch it with your 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 lover. It will lead to fun things. Tony, with the salaciousness in this episode, I'm telling you. Very bad things is a is an interesting interesting little flick. I've I have seen it on a on a couple of occasions. I I will agree. Yeah. Uh who else is in there? Um who plays Ari Gold? Jeremy Piven, uh Christian Slater. Yeah, Yeah, Christian Slater is there. I don't I don't who is the one who's like sitting on the chair who was like she wasn't dead or I can't remember what like he's like crying in the chair and it's like the funniest I can go get the you know DVD if you want me to. I can go get the DVD case if you want me to. 
I don't I don't know. I have no concept of time. So but yes, it's a it's quite it's quite a quite a great it's a fun little movie. You should check it out. So yeah, first time in the nineties project that we have four different movies that'll go up on the poll this time around. We'll have we'll have uh Rudy, we'll have um I've already Leave forgotten your own. Uh, Leave Leave your your own. Their own and that's gonna be tough. That's gonna be a tough I one. We'll have to have Tony reach out to his connections to, to help you know stuff the ballot in favor of his of his film. Since he's, <laughs> I voted only once for Forrest Gump. That's it. I'm not I'm not saying you voted more than once. I'm just saying your connections how many birds may not have been just when I when I reached out to get more votes for the sci-fi poll, none of the connections voted for my sci-fi. Tony, so let's Tony, I just want to know something. How many burner accounts does DPP have? <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. We thought we had there. a burner account lately this week. <laughs> so yeah, so that'll do it for this week's edition of the '90s Project Sports Movies. Next week. We will be covering our top 10, and I think this is going to be another challenging category, fellas, our top 10 action-adventure movies of the 90s. There's a lot of good stuff out there, and I I feel like every week our lists just get a little bit harder and harder to make. We're coming close to the end. We only got two categories after, after action-adventure, and, and then we'll be wrapping. So keep them coming. You guys are doing a great job. Uh, I can't wait to hear everybody's opinions. Is mayonnaise an instrument? Want to go jellyfishing? What am I supposed to do all day while you're at school? Can I use your bathroom? Who's your friend? What does claustrophobic mean? <laughs> you know what the problem is? And of course, that means it is time for Patrick O'Dowd has a question. We end every show with me asking a question of the panel. And this week, I came across something in the Twitterverse that I shared with you all in our chat and then was like, but hold off on your thoughts because I wanted you to answer the question on the show. And so the, the question was, if your if you were in like if your mood were an MCU character and what would who who would that mood be and the person who tweeted it I think put up a picture of like Star Lord and so I thought it'd be fun to just catch you in the moment and ask you all one at a time if you if MCU character was a mood who would you be and we'll start with Ray the Reverend oh, okay. Ray me okay I'm ready if you guys want to take a minute. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. <clears throat> and I'm going to give a specific moment from this character. Um, of course, you know, you guys know I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Hawkeye, Mark. But the specific moment of Hawkeye is, <clears throat> excuse me, when he is in Civil War, when he goes to get Wanda and, <clears throat> and Vision sees him and he hits him. With the, he, he, I think he's just arrow. He hits him with the thing, and he's like, "Yeah, I should have stretched." That's me. Very nice. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. that was a very interesting approach. Tony, right? you you said you had yours already, so yeah, let's let's hear what you got. If if you yeah, were, it, it's Tony Stark, and I probably don't even have to tell the three of you why, but you know, I. I, I 
regardless of, 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 of what is happening underneath, it's always confident together, believing in what you're saying. And that's and a great way. And alcoholic. We both enjoy, like, indulging in things. Uh, Dave? I'm just going to go with um, Tom Holland Spider-Man, because I'm just in awe of you guys most of the time anyway while we're on this show, because your guys are my spirit animals. There you go. <laughs> Have to fucking hug you at the end of this now too. No, please do. No, don't. Let's let's not. You're my best friend, but hey, not that. And we're not there yet, Tony. There's robots, so, and the city is flying, and I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes any sense. It's flying. It's flying. The city's flying. I um. Thought I told you to go back to Earth, Dave. I almost feel like a fun reversal of this question is that to pick each of you. To, to give an MCU mood to another panelist, like assign each of you a different member of the panel. Look at Ray, or he's like, yeah, let's do that. Let's I, already do that. Have, I already have Tony. I already have Tony right now. Tony reminds me so much of Loki. Yeah, oh, Loki. <laughs> Can you see it? Sort of. Yeah. So I, I got to go with, um, I actually struggle with this because I don't know that there's a good curmudgeon old man character in MCU. So maybe Rocket? Like Rocket's kind of always just grouchy and angry all the time. Could be, uh, could be Drax, you know. Uh, Dra- well, Drax is no Drax isn't Drax isn't smart enough for Patrick. Wong, Wong, Wong. because the whole movie, he, the, my man was cracking mad jokes, and Wong was just like, <laughs> "That's Patrick." No, I like the raccoon. I like the raccoon actually. <laughs> I like Rocket. I love Rocket. Rocket is one of my f- When that movie got announced that uh, was happening and that Groot and Rocket were going to be in there, it instantly became a profile pick for a really long time. So I'm comfortable with that. The excellent gentleman. That's the fastest I think I've gotten any of you to answer the question. So well done. Well done. Next week, we got a full slate again. We're bringing on Christopher Platt. He's going to be coming to join us for the series finale. I'm assuming he's a series finale of WandaVision. We're going to jump into our top 10 action adventure flicks of the 90s. Before we get out of here, let's do a quick once around. Tell everybody how they can find you and follow you. We'll start this week with PC Tunny. Well, you can find me at L-O-K-I. That's Loki on Twitter um, at PC Tunny. Continue to listen to Cherryshot Radio Network. We really appreciate you guys listening to everything that we have going on. You know, there's there's a podcast, whatever you're interested in, Bandwagon Nerds, Winner Is You, Three Man Weave, and tons of wrestling out there. Continue to listen, and uh, we'll continue to provide great content for you. Excellent. Thank you, David Ungar. Uh, you can check me out on Twitter at Attitude Ag. That is at Attitude A-G-G, and on Facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression. Mr. Ray Cash. Uh, you can find me at Ferngully number one fan. Uh, that's a hashtag uh, word. Uh, but uh, my burner account is at It's Ray Cash, R-E-Y's and Mysterio. C-A-S-H as in dollars. Check your boy on the chair shot doing hood rat stuff with my hood rat friends. Hashtag Ferngully FTW. FTW. <laughs> and I'm so sorry, Tony. Like, I feel partially responsible for this. I feel like I've stirred the Ferngully story a little too much, but you can follow me on the Twitter at Wrestling Realist. That is at W R E S T L N G R E A L I S T. 
You can listen to me every Monday here on Bandwagon Nerds. You can also listen to me every Wednesday on the Babyface Heel podcast with Greg DeMarco and Miranda Morales, as well as every Sunday morning with David Ungar on the Chair Shot Radio. Here's the other thing. You can also read Dave and I as we work hard. We're covering some kaiju. I mentioned I meant to bring this up. Ray, could you write about kaiju? Could you write about Kong Skull Island? Could you be a part of the nerd review this week? I'll be glad to. Just tell me when and where what I gotta do. Awesome. You gotta then write. I appreciate it. Hey, to write for me down the future. Good job, Patrick. Just turn it in a fun. paragraph like Wednesday evening and so that I can compile it. We'll, we'll go over it off the air because that is all the time that we have this week for bandwagon nerds. Oh, Tony's got a finger up. Tony, what one thing? What? Look for a retrospective look at WrestleMania in the next six weeks leading up to WrestleMania from myself, Christopher Platt, and week one, very own Dave Ungar. We'll, we'll preview, we'll review. Uh, WrestleMania one through six and its importance leading into this year's WrestleMania. Excellent. Yeah. Be sure to check that out. All right. Let's try this again. That is all the time that we now have for bandwagon nerds. Thank you everyone for listening. Now get yourself out of the basement, get some sun and check out some sports movies. We gave you a list of 40. You've been listening to bandwagon nerds on the chair shot radio network, a part of the chairshot.com. I wish God would put your heart in some of my players' bodies. You're five feet nothing. A hundred and nothing. And you got hardly a speck of athletic ability. And you hung in with the best college football team in the land. You ready, Jack? I've been ready for this my whole life. Sun shines on a dog's ass some days. Ain't no thing. Ain't no thing. Sydney. No thing but a chicken wing on a string. I'm Burger King. You wouldn't know what a behind the back pass was. You have a hard enough time passing gas. My name ain't Chump, it's Billy Hoyle. Marifetch my ass. I got your pistol right here, Billy. You know, a man should never act desperate. It's impractical. And frankly, I find it rather ugly. It's pretty. It's so pretty. <laughs> go with Sizzler. We go with Sizzler. We go with Sizzler. Hell, you can put a cat in the oven and that don't make it a biscuit. White men can't jump. Gordon? Hey, Bombay, you stop when I'm talking to you, son. What's the idea here? Are you trying to sabotage me or what? Law's a bitch when it works against you, isn't it, Jack? If you got a whole team full of banks, this one kid isn't going to make a difference. Even with banks, 
What do you think you're going to prove, you and that bunch of losers? That's right, coach. They are losers. We hate losers, don't we? They don't even deserve to live. Maybe you're right. Maybe banks won't make a difference. But at least we're playing by the rules. Why'd you turn against me, Gordon? For six years, I taught you how to skate. I taught you how to score. I taught you how to go for the W. You could have been one of the greats. And now look at yourself. You're not even a has-been. You're a never-was. Are you crying? No. Are you crying? Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Why don't you leave her alone, Jimmy? Oh, you zip it, Doris. Rogers Hornsby was my manager, and he called me a talking pile of pig shit. And that was when my parents drove all the way down from Michigan to see me play the game. And did I cry? No, no. No! No! And you know why? No. Because there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball! No crying!